the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> The Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 651, that is 651 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host Agostino Zynga, and I hope you're doing well wherever this podcast may find you, I hope you are doing splendid. This is a first trial run for me. I don't ever usually do the Axion Zynga show live. I usually pre-record it and then I kind of upload it later on YouTube and get it up on Libsyn and all the podcasting apps. I do a little bit of editing and cut some of the ums and ahs and stuff and get rid of some of the transitions in between subjects and whatnot. But this time I thought I wanted to mix up a little bit because I've been enjoying going live. I'm doing the random show that I do also on my channel. If you're not listening via the YouTube, you won't have a clue about it, but I also do a little random show thing. I've also set up a separate channel for it. But now I think to discern between the two things, I'm getting muddied up and also not to confuse or annoy you the listeners who are watching my things because i know some of you are only here to hear me talk about the comedy stuff some of you don't care about the fashion stuff which i understand or the cultural comedy stuff the cultural sorry commentary stuff which was fine but what i'm going to do going forward i'm going to start doing some lives with this of course just to kind of build up that you know um useness of knowing that this kind of goes live on this channel also and then over time i'll slowly transition and do all the random show stuff on the random show channel which obviously you can link to um, it's all on my channel if you go on the homepage on youtube you'll be able to see the link for that over, over there if you're not on there already and of course if you're listening via the audio side i'll also put a link to the random show channel if you want to subscribe to that as well but i'm going to keep them separate but this is the action of zinger show so everything on here will be mostly cultural commentary stuff we're going to go through all the things i've kind of mentioned in the description so if you haven't um if you haven't flipping um if you haven't flipping checked it, please do check the description for all the kind of topics I'm going to be going through. And if you're looking for all the Bapaverse, GRE, Extended Universe, Brandon Shaw, Joe Rogan, Brian Callen, all that sort of conversation, that'll be for the random show that'll come probably tomorrow. I'll probably do another one of those. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to I'm probably going to stream on here, but then unlist the, the stream after I finish and then re-upload the full thing on the random show channel just so there's a clear separation between, hey, this is a separate channel that does this and this place does this. Hopefully that's clear. Hopefully that's good. And and of course if you're watching and you're enjoying what you see please along the way just you know smash that like for me that'd be greatly appreciated and of course if you have any comments chuck them in a the chat but as per usual when it comes to the podcast i'll just be running through all 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 of the topics that i kind of got on the top of my head and we're kind of going to go from there in it cool so weekend vibes as most of you will know if i'm you know if you're checking out the random show um i've been indoors all weekend all weekend i've been indoors which is a real big change for me usually i'm always outside in some regard um i think i had a bit of a rant about it on the random show that i'm getting a bit annoyed at this kind of judgment era that we're living in at the moment this sort of lifestyle shame and i think it's happening a lot nowadays especially within my circle of friends or people that i know because we're all kind of advancing in our age and whatnot and some people maybe haven't really achieved their potential 
Some people are maybe feeling insecure about where they are. Some people are just lost and confused. And when they see somebody that's in the same age range as them, still enjoying the things that we enjoyed when we were maybe in our early 20s, it can kind of get a little bit jarring and kind of remind you that you're not really where you need to be. And then maybe, you know, me coming around and being the quintessential quote-unquote party boy, it has some certain labels on it, right? It means maybe you're always getting drunk, you're always on drugs, you're always doing this. But really, when I go out for the most part, as weird as it may be and as hard as it is, because I say all the time, raving sober is legitimately one of the most hardest and I think deadest experiences ever, especially if you got introduced to raving the traditional way, right? Through your drugs and alcohol. It's very difficult to go raving and actually go there, stone cold sober and just enjoy it. I think if you got introduced to raving just as a normal person, just listen to music, it's cool. But the way I got introduced to raving and now kind of transitioning into this kind of adult raving where I could just go and watch someone DJ and just drink a Red Bull and go home, it took, takes a lot, but I do it quite often. I've been to flipping Berlin. I went to the Bergheim completely sober. Like I spent a whole weekend in these places. I do it all the time, but I also like to play up to this image that I'm always on it. I think it's just fun. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like Future when I, when I kind of clocked in. You know, Future's one of my favorite artists, but I kind of clocked after listening to his music. I was like, hold on, this guy isn't doing all these perks. He's not do, drinking all this lean. He's not doing all this coke. He's not having all these ecstasy pills. It's impossible. A person at Future who has that amount of kind of flipping output in his work and uh, you know over time i feel like his recent albums have become more and more polished over time his guest verses are incredibly strong some of them go incredibly viral it's impossible that that person is still perked up every single day same goes for the weekend but it's just nice to play into this idea that you're this maverick rock star type of guy so i kind of play into it a little bit and i lean into it i understand but i don't like the judgment and the shaming and the kind of pointing of the fingers from others as because they kind of feel uncomfortable with their own life choices and maybe they feel like if they get around you that you're suddenly going to be the oh let's go buy a baggie oh let's go get a drink kind of guy and I'm never that dude like I always kind of go out for my own number one I go out on my own anyway most of the time and if I'm going out with other people I don't kind of try to rope them into my fun like if you're having if you're having your kind of fun you have your kind of fun but I'm going to roll off and do my thing anyway I don't need to kind of have some support system with me to justify my flipping you know adult choices and stuff I never ever ever done that so when people start to kind of point and do that thing it kind of get on my nerves but anyway regardless i do me they can judge they can do what they want to do but for the most part i have like loads of periods of times in my life where you know maybe for a stretch maybe two months maybe three months where i just don't go out i just kind of you know i'm comfortable in my own skin which i'm happy that i'm that person but it's also a little bit worrying like uh, uh, you know how how um very how little contact i need with actual humans to be fun to, to function and stuff i know this is kind of a cheat because, you know, when you stream and you create content, you're kind of con communicate with people as well, even though you don't see them physically. These are real humans you're kind of interacting with. So you kind of get that there. But in IRL, I can kind of go without seeing anybody for ages and ages, even though I'm really social, I'm really outgoing. I like to party, I like to dance, I like to get, you know what I mean, like I'm when I go to these raves, I'm not in the back just like sitting down, unless I'm going to like a queer party where I don't want to like, you know, invade in their space. For the most part, I'm in the middle, like just going flipping crazy and dancing my face off, right? Like loads of flipping you know black man sweat and bo is like flying off my face so i like to do that and get involved but i also like to just be on my own and read you know autobiographies on um on on the big man h right on big h over there right i like to read autobiographies on the big h as well so i'm kind of you know i'm a little bit complex like that so all that stuff happens so i'm quite happy that i did stay in this weekend i'm not gonna lie 
Um, it's been quite nice, quite refreshing just to be indoors, not doing anything, drinking loads of green juice, as some of you guys have seen, you know, having some scrambled eggs with some beans and whatnot, and drinking loads of water, and just kind of hanging out and chilling. And I know sooner rather than later, a crazy weekend will come about, but I just like the fact that I can do that, and I don't need encouragement to do anything else, because, you know, the stories that I'm hearing from some people about lifestyle, I'm like bloody hell because i'm sure some of you are aware or it's not like a big surprise to some people but you know i'm hearing or i've heard online stories about people like you know suffering from terminal illnesses you know a person that might have cancer or something is on the road to recovery and then i guess maybe if you have cancer or something maybe there is or maybe like a terminal illness and you're kind of yeah on your own road to, to recovery and you feel like maybe the you know the, there's light in the tunnel and maybe just the, the process of going through that chemo and just suffering and pain, all that sort of stuff for long times and just maybe feeling like feeling like a little bit like a black, not like a black sheep, like a leper a little bit. You feel a little bit awkward around people. You don't want people to look at you like you're, you know, like you're helpless and stuff and whatever it may be, right? Especially if you're a woman, right? You're going to maybe feel really ugly. Um, maybe if you're a guy, you're going to feel like you're not useful. Um, you're going to feel like people like, you know, are like tending over you all the time that you can't look after yourself. I'm sure these like complexes get into your head. But it's been messed up to read online to see people legitimately who are going through that and kind of, you know, recovering on the other side. And now they're in a position where they're recovering and they start to party straight away. They don't even go through like the recovery stages of like taking the medication and relaxing and doing what, because I'm, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure I've read somewhere if you're like on recovery for cancer and stuff, you're not even meant to be doing that much exercise. You're meant to be conserving your energy, right? It's like kind of like a whole thing you're meant to be doing because obviously, it, you know, it can, it can kind of come back, which is obviously horrible. But, Hearing stories of people like legitimately like, you know, on the other end, you know, after kind of getting, you know, surgery or whatnot coming off the other end of chemo and then decide to party, you know, buying flipping grams of whatever, um, you know, drinking and being outdoors and stuff. I'm just like, oh, I'm just like, wow, man, the human brain and what we sort of like rationalize and justify in our own heads to kind of make sense is pretty wild, isn't it? So in the same token, I've got friends who maybe look at me and think, oh, I can't hang out at Agassino because if I hang out at Agassino, it's going to be a crazy night. And it's basically then project. Maybe it's a maybe it's an accurate judgment. I'm not going to say. But their projection, their kind of insecurities or their inabilities to not have any willpower or to not have any kind of personality or, or kind of, you know, mind of their own, as if I'm like going to be dragging them, you know, or kind of like telling them what to do, like I'm some sort of wizard or something. They're kind of projecting onto me in some respects, right? And trying to justify that as a way for them not to go out. In the same way where maybe if you're someone that's a cancer, you know, uh, survivor, quote unquote, and you're on the other end, maybe you decide to have a couple of lines or drop a couple of pills or have a drink. You're basically telling yourself, hey, either you're fatalist and you're like, or nihilist, sorry, and you're like, you know what? The end is going to come. We will die anyway. Or you're basically thinking, I'm on the other end now. Do you know what I mean? Like this whole recovery thing is just like, you know, it's whatever, but I'm, I'm fine. It should be okay. And even if I'm not fine, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, take this illness just lying down and not having fun. I'm going to have fun. And if it means my time is over, my time is over kind of thing, which is kind of wild to think that, but Hey, maybe, maybe that's quite freeing actually. Maybe that's actually a freeing way to look at it. Like, you know what? The end is going to come regardless. This is obviously a horrible illness to get. Uh, I'm on the road to recovery. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Because the same thing that people do when they're in hospital and they just come out of surgery and they're stressed and they want to have a cigarette. Do you know what I mean? It's like really and truly, you know, what's the real harm of a one cigarette? But I don't think you can really equate a cigarette <laughs> to having a couple of lines or a drink or like whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's probably in two different flipping stratospheres. But hey, what do I know?
Anyway, moving on from that one, I'm going to quickly mention this and talk about this because I feel like this needs to get mentioned. So, I've been absolutely blasting, smashing through Don Tolliver's new album, Lovesick, and I just wanted to give it a shout out to people who haven't actually checked it out. Don Tolliver, for me, is now kind of occupying that space of like specialness. Like, it's kind of like when Scissor dropped Control, and I felt like, oh, this girl's got something. Like, she might be the one. And then, obviously, you know, SOS comes out. You're like, okay, cool. She's definitely the star. I feel like this is, this Lovesick album is definitely the kind of precursor to the actual big project that's going to blow him up, you know, bigger than whatever it may be. And this is legitimately one of the best. Because I kind of re I kind of refer to Don Tolliver. He sort of occupied that sort of like Ty Dollar Sign sort of like space. This R&B croner who came on songs, um, did good verses, did good, did good, Oh, sorry good hooks good melodies but maybe wasn't possible wasn't able to put together his own coherent project but then he did i forgot that project that he put out that had like five times on it which one was that one i'm um, gonna quickly check it out now uh, it's the album called life of a don that was at 2021 which i thought was really good but if anything life of a don by don toliver it probably fell off a little bit after like track six or seven i think the first five to six seven tracks were pretty decent and then he kind of lost his legs like it felt like there wasn't enough there to kind of sustain the project or like that kind of whatever melodies and, and things I kind of liked in tracks like um what you call it uh, I'm looking now on the track list like five times escape what you need double standards even 2am track number nine they didn't really extend throughout the entirety of the album whereas lovesick I feel like he's taken all the good things all the good things from life of a don and he sort of extrapolated it and filled it out not just like not just taking songs and just kind of you know copy pasted them he sort of extrapolated and put different parts and different bits the switches the flips the flipping guest verses it's it's so good this album right this um and the deluxe just came out it's so good that in my opinion i think the travis scott tracks or the travis scott tracks tracks and tracks that have come out on this might be the weakest in my opinion the trackers the travis scott tracks are the weakest even though they're the ones that are going to get you the most eyes as you can see here from genius it's got 39.400 what you call it views obviously from that from the track with called embarrassed with travis scott but for me the best tracks that stand out on this album for sure are luckily i'm having featuring tezo touchdown which is on the deluxe um a quick note on the deluxe i do hate how in this era deluxe albums for whatever reason it's a weird thing. So I think it's an Apple Music thing. I think it's an Apple Music thing. So on Apple Music, for whatever reason on Apple Music, if you if you search for an artist, right, and they've got yeah, if you search for an artist, they've got a deluxe. Here's what happens. Sometimes it happens like this. So this is Don Tolliver's. Let me let me get this back up on the screen. Let's just let's do this again. This is Don Tolliver's flipping thing, right, on uh, on Apple Music, right. Then when you scroll down to the album, you'll see the deluxe is there, right there. That's a deluxe. But the original already came out and I've got it on my collection. So what it would do is that it would just erase the, the regular version. It would just give you the deluxe only, which is annoying. Cool. Then secondly, when the deluxe does drop, right? The first four tracks are usually the added tracks, usually. But they're not clearly labeled. So it's just difficult to figure out. So you, can't, you don't really know what you listen to, what the new tracks are. And I guess they do that on purpose because they want to force people to listen to the new tracks but i would much prefer if it's a deluxe how deluxe used to work with cds would that there'll be either a separate cd 
or they'll be at the bottom of the of the track list. But I guess because they want people to listen to them, they put them right at the top and it just messes up. You don't know which one. And again, if you delete the previous album, how do I know which ones are the deluxe tracks? It's just flipping annoying. But regards, this is what it is. The deluxe came out, four new tracks. The best for me, I thought, was a Luckily I'm Having with Tezo Touchdown. Um, the tracks on the album itself, the track with, Let, uh, with James Blake, Let Her Go, might be legitimately one of James Blake's best songs. And he's fallen off completely. I was a big James Blake fan or stand in like, what, 2019? or something when I don't know when Retrogate and all that stuff came out back in the day but recently he's really fell off a cliff unfortunately some people you know maybe myself included think that his relationship maybe with, with that Jamila Jamil woman may have tainted some of his artistry and he's never been the same again but this track definitely restored my faith in flipping James Blake's supremacy so big up him the Leave the Club track with Glorilla and Lil Durk is stupendous the way Lil, Glorilla absolutely smashes that track probably has a better, best, better verse than Lil Durk on there and might be the biggest Glorilla Gorilla fans, so big up her. Um, the other one as well, Go Down, faces um, Tissa Korean, who I'm not really too familiar with. I really enjoyed that one. Time Hills, Leather Coat's really good. There's too many good tracks here. Slow Motion with Whiskey is really good. And of course, one of the standouts is Private Landing featuring Future and Justin Bieber. Oh, ho, ho, ho. the way these two guys absolutely skate, skate and sliver and slide and spin and pirouette on this track is absolutely incredible. Hearing Justin on what you deem to be a quote-unquote urban record again is so pleasurable for me, legitimately, because I'm one of those guys that loves Justin B on R&B. Justin Bieber on R&B on like hip-hop pop records is just so so good and obviously he's you know he's going through his health battles at the moment he's probably not in the mind right mind state to kind of get give us an actual album again but i really do want justin bieber to come back again and remind us of the power and of what he's really about but honestly justin bieber on here mm, keep on keep going keep going keep going yeah look at look at this track he's talking about double cups Justin Bieber talking about double cups i guess i'm spinning double cup i'm leaning i guess i'm spinning double cup i'm leaning justin bieber's talking about double cups are you absolutely are you absolutely killing me come on man so yeah um i really recommend you check it out one of my favorite albums today and again i think is a really good um indicator of like um Don Tolliver's stardom and definitely I think the precursor before the big album I think people have even said now his performances at Flipping Rolling Loud are really good as well I didn't really particularly like it too much but the reaction from the crowd definitely showed that his star is really 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 rising but for sure if you're a fan of somebody like a Ty Dollar Sign I definitely recommend checking it out. Talking of Ty Dollar Sign, he has to be a little bit aggrieved because Don Tolliver's definitely now replaced him, I think, for that kind of category. Um, he's definitely somebody I prefer to go to. And again, consistency beats it. And he's just, you know, more visible and whatnot. And just, yeah, it just sounds better for now. But obviously, Ty Dollar Sign still got a lot of talent, but he hasn't necessarily been able to put it together in a real concise album. His mixtapes usually do better. And even them, they don't really have great, great, the greatest replay value. But yeah, Lovesick, value, Lovesick by Don Tolliver. Definitely check it out. It came out. I think a couple, originally came out a couple of weeks ago, but obviously the Lovesick, the Deluxe came out just last weekend. If you haven't checked it out, please do, man. It's absolutely banging. Really, really, really good. And I've been enjoying it, enjoying it so much. Then we need to talk about the, the most amazing and the most confusing and the most worrying and the most scary and the most hype performance at Rolling Loud. We have to talk about this. We have to talk about it. So you know what I'm talking about. My guy, Playboy Carty. Oh my God. So Playboy Carty performed at Rolling Loud. Um, obviously, you know, as a Playboy Carty fan and stan, we haven't really got much information about any new album. And I think, obviously, 
common sense would dictate that it was because of that domestic violence dispute arresting that got happened the story goes that some kid on the playboy cart he read it randomly was just i don't know on the internet checking fucking police records and typed in playboy cut his government name and then popped up you know some um note that he hadn't been arrested recently i think it was in like december i think it happened recently so maybe a couple of months ago and it was for uh, allegedly assaulting his girlfriend who no one knows who she is some like girl he's kind of kept you know under wraps and at the time she was pregnant i'm not sure if she still is or whatnot but he basically assaulted her and he got booked for it. And I think he got obviously put out on bail, but it happened. And then obviously that news went viral and it happened around the same time that Carty was teasing a new album. I think he went back on social media. There was a few posts of people in and amongst him and around him and stuff. A few of these people, a few of these people within his camp were doing interviews, you know, Joy Divisions, the other dude with the, um, with the bald head that wears lots of Rick Owens and Balenciaga. All those guys were kind of popping out. So it felt like there was something in the water. Okay. There's a new album, a new coming, new album, new album but we it went completely radio silent when obviously you know people find out that he's out here beat allegedly beating pregnant women behind the scenes right which is which is absolutely hilarious especially if you um if you're a fan of the track flipping r.i.p on die lit right i'm gonna sub that bitch anyway cool so um that happened we haven't got much information rolling loud obviously he booked him ages ago and again no information about his flipping performance but then he did end up performing and again so much confusion because it went so crazy on the on the the performance they had to cut it short so it wasn't the full set multiple times it had to be stopped because the crowd were getting too unruly and of course it's not his fault it's the rolling loud flipping crowd management and shit probably let too many people in probably oversold tickets probably kids jumped over the gates standard thing and it was heaving you could see from the videos if you watch it no one was moving i think that's always a good sign especially if it's a really big artist when you just see loads of gridlock and people just swaying from left to right it's usually a sign that they can't move there's no space clearly something is happening clearly something is going wrong and um it was quite scary i'm not gonna lie to see that happening i was like oh my god from video thinking damn man is this gonna be like another is this gonna be like another flipping um what you call it another travis scott astro situation and luckily luckily it wasn't luckily it wasn't they stopped it when they could so big up rolling loud even though they you know they facilitate the problem they did try to fix it they paused it a few times i think it calmed the crowd down and then i think whoever's in charge made the executive decision just to kind of end the set and i think in general when you're rolling loud are really good at that because i think no i don't think but you can see they clearly give their artist a specific set like time and if you come late Whatever time you have left is what you have left. They don't extend time, don't do anything. Like it's all it's run like a military operation, rolling loud. So I think that kind of helps. So they can make these kind of executive kind of, you know, cold decisions without being like, oh my god, but it's Carty and he hardly performs. Anyway, he ended up performing. It was pretty good in some parts. The other parts I'm not really too fond of. It's just him screaming on the microphone. Um, uh, you know, as a fan of his and uh, loving the punk rock aesthetic and just being a fun of, fan of punk rock myself, I still think there's something to be said for hearing an artist actually rapping and singing their songs, hearing them breathe, hearing them losing their breath, hearing them missing or forgetting their lyrics. That's part of the fun of a live performance or even improvising, you know, during a track and, and mess, mixing up words or up the words that's kind of fun but for every reason this generation of hip-hop artists they don't like doing it they just play the mp3 in the background and just lower the flipping highs and the mids or whatever it may be and then just rap over it so you're hearing double double voices speaking on a speaker it's really odd performance wise or what the kids and opium look like they do they just play the tracks super loud and then they basically act like a 
like a DJ in, in, in effect, like kind of like a DJ or a hype man, like basically, yeah, put your hands up, put your hands up while the track is going. They might scream the l- lyrics of the chorus, but that would be it. Uh, and I think Playboy Carter, as good as his performances are, because I like the whole aesthetic behind it, loads of smoke, um, kind of, you know, this kind of, it kind of, kind of uh, hides himself behind it. It kind of reminds me of early days of flipping the weekend where you would never like people seeing his face and you just perform, you know, on stage with no lights on him or no spotlights. I like all that, loads of the smoke and stuff. But I do think regarding Playboy Carter, there's not enough lyrics in his raps. He doesn't rap a lot in the first place if that's the case you have to flip and rap you have to kind of rap the words don't just be sitting there screaming and whatever it may be i know it's still hype and it still adds to it but i think his performances would go another level if he absolutely rapped every single word of his tracks please rap them but anyway that aside he played an updated live version of location one of my favorite tracks one of my favorite tracks from his self-titled album right it's legitimately a masterpiece and this updated version i'm gonna play for you oh my god so strap in tight and listen to this playboy car location um from rolling loud it's absolutely stupendous i love you guys so fucking much We don't have the police, the fire marshal, everyone, you know. But as always, the most important thing is about you guys' safety. And I'm sorry. And I love you guys so much. But I have to leave. One more song. Whoever's on that guitar, wow, 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 wow.
Honestly, special, special, special. If you haven't seen it already, check it out yourself. Type it in Playboy Carti location. It's on this channel called RGC, but I'm sure other people have edits of it done. Legitimately, legitimately, one of the best performances I've seen in a while. And that live rendition of it was incredible. And imagine if he just would have rapped on it like normal, like actually without the vocals in the background and just blitz it. It would have sounded incredible. It kind of reminds me of that live performance of from flipping what's his face from dmx i think from uh was it from it was it glastonbury or something that epic performance on dmx of glastonbury and you could hear him <sighs> in between the lyrics like do you know what i mean like breathing and shit as he's rapping his bars and the crowd swaying from left to right that's what live performances are about like it kind of and also like i think of you know because i'm a bit maybe spoiled a little bit because I got into maybe watching live performances or live music, not from hip hop. Like I listen to most of my hip hop from my headphones at home and shit, or maybe when I go to the club. But when I go out, most of the things I'm listening to are like, you know, indie music or bands or alternative acts. And usually for the most part, I don't think I've ever heard an alternative or an indie band or something I've gone to see, or even a metal band. I've not seen any live metal band show where they play the MP3 in the background with the vocals. They never do that. It's like criminal to do that. Um, so they always just play the instrumental or just kind of, you know, play the whole thing, you know, via the live band. And you get to hear the live rendition of it. And sometimes it's a better version of it live than it is actually on the on the album sometimes. It can kind of spoil it for you sometimes. You hear a band play an album cut or play through a whole, a whole album that's due to be released. And then you hear the actual thing, the studio version, you're like, oh, I like prefer the live version. Um, so you can kind of flip it in that way. But also the live show can also make you a fan of the person's work. But I remember distinctly one of the people that kind of is recent years who I love to see live was Mac DeMarco. Because Mac DeMarco was always known to kind of flip songs live. Like he'd kind of stretch out a certain bit. He'd do some live improv funny thing on stage. He'd strip naked. He'd crowd surf. Or he'd just kind of add words to it. He'll run the chorus three or four times again just to kind of make it interesting. And that kind of added to the show. So fans or people that went to see Mac DeMarco would look forward to it. Like, oh, I can't wait to see Mac DeMarco perform because I don't know what version of um, salad days I'm going to get when I see him. It's going to be this one, this, you know what I mean? You don't know how he's going to flip it. And I really like that. But I think well, for whatever reason, these young kids, they don't seem to care about that. They just seem to care about getting lit, getting turned and whatnot, and just doing kind of the bare minimum for the most part. But one person I have to give credit to and kind of shout him out is obviously my guy here from the UK, who also allegedly happens to be from the same borough that I'm from here in London as well, um, in Newham. Um, he says, or what, he is got booked for Rolling Loud and he goes by the name of Lancey Foe. I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with him. And he performed pretty early, it looked like, and it gave him a bit of a short set. According to the video, officially from the Rolling Loud channel, it's only like a seven-minute video. And I'm not too sure if that was a seven-minute set or they only recorded seven minutes of it or did Lancey Foe get there too late and you only had seven minutes. But regardless, if they did give him a short set of only seven minutes because he's not that well-known and they want him to kind of, you know, build up his rep america in, in in the states before he kind of gets given a bigger show fair play but i still think he did an amazing job for the seven minutes he was given he absolutely smashed it and i'm going to play a quick clip of him performing at rolling loud now lancey Fo 2023 at rolling loud this was pretty good los angeles make some fucking noise for yourself Moon in front. Moon in front. Some behind me. Moon in front. Some behind me. Some behind me. This side. 
I'm with that pure dope, running a coke, pure smoke, I do pure weed, running a rock, pure molly. And look at the stage, right? Look at the crowd. So this is pretty early today. You this 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 is what I think this is where you really earn your chops as a performer. You have to perform in front of these crowds. They don't really know you. Because again, Rolling Loud is a kind of a two-edged sword, right? In one side is good because you get to it's like a catchment area. All the kids that you should be trying to perform in front of to become new fans of yours, they are there. But there's also all the kids in all the world that are there. It's like too many of them. So it's hard to kind of judge or to get an idea on like who your fans are because loads of them are there and you don't have to be there to see you and whatever it may be. And some of them might know, might not know you from a lick of paint. So you're having to perform in front of them, get to kind of, you know, show, show who you want to be. But then also if you're performing early, you're looking out into this flipping, you know, parking lot, car park, and it's basically empty right it's full in the front but you look out and you see loads of space everywhere it can maybe bum you out a little bit like you know what oh, man i wish i was bigger i wish people knew me more i wish i was da, 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 all that sort of stuff get in your own head but i think the key to performing like i did i'm giving myself a pat on the back here because it's my channel do what i want so <laughs> i'm give a pat on the back what i used to give myself credit for is that even when i used to dj at these little local bars and pubs in the area that I live in, just to kind of get some experiences to play in front of an audience. The one thing that I always love to do, and it's something I was kind of religious about doing, religious about doing, was to always perform, always, 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 always perform to the max level, even if it was just a pub. Like, it doesn't mean I'm playing flipping hard techno, but I'm really giving it my all. Like, I would, I even went as far as saying, when I used to perform or play in these pubs, the bars and pubs, I never played the same set twice, ever. And this was because of, I had one bad experience playing at the other bar one time. And um, one girl that I knew, who's kind of a part of our social circle, she said once, oh, is that the song you played last week or something, right? She noticed some song, I guess she didn't really like it. And it kind of stuck with me. I was like, you know what? Yeah, let me just put, let me put my effort in this. And even though I'm doing an, an early set where no one's going to see me, I should be actually trying to make sure that I'm actively, um, you know, going out listening to new songs putting a new set together and performing like i'm playing at the o2 or something even if i'm performing in a pub where people are legitimately eating burgers in front of me right um they're eating hot wings and shit they're dipping their fries in ketchup they don't care that i'm there at all but i'm in the booth like giving it everything <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm playing in a fucking madison square garden and i think it's a really good habit to get into because once you then eventually do become big and you do become you do end up kind of fulfilling your potential or being everything you hope to be, those habits are still there. You're not suddenly having to turn it on when you get into, you know, a sold-out arena. Now you start off performing like that, like a G from minute zero. And I absolutely love that. So big up Lancey Foe for performing and being professional. Anyway, you get the point. So he did he did well. Big up Lancey Foe. And there's a parts in there you should check out. Definitely re recommend you check it out. One of my favourites, Lancey Foe. Got 
a, a really extensive catalogue of tracks to listen to. Um, I do like that now in person when you see him live in the daylight, because I guess I've seen only clips of him performing, you know, in really dark, you know, clubs and arenas and stuff that he, when he performs here in the UK. Uh, he does look like a really wham version of Fugger, innit? But he does look different. I think when you see him on pictures, he looks more like, you know, he's got this whole Playboy Carty Fugger thing going on. But when you actually see him moving around, he looks like his own person. But one thing I do like about Lancey Foe, even though they've all kind of occupied the same sort of like stylistic, you know, aesthetic sort of choices, because it's kind of like what kids wearing nowadays, right? They're all into flipping, wearing black. They're all wearing Rick Owings. They're all wearing, you know, they all have their particular hair braided a certain way. It's just a thing. So it's not that bad. But what I like about Lancey Foe over the last few years, personally for me, what I like about him is that he's now become his own artist, like sound-wise. Like, I don't think you listen to a Lantifo album and actually be mistaken and think it's a Carti album or a Fugger album. I think now he actually sounds like Lantifo. And I think that's a big, big, big shift in like the last few years I've kind of heard from him. So big up Lantifo for that. And again, I've, I think that kind of takes, again, takes time um, to do so. But I think he's growing, learning and coming into his own. And I'm happy and glad to see it. So let's continue on here. Um... I, I hopefully my it looks like I'm I'm, I'm reading out on the flipping microphone thing. Hopefully it's not blasting too much in your ears. But if the microphone or if I'm sounding a little bit crazy, please tell me in the chat if that is the case. But hopefully it's not blaring here. I keep saying I'm kind of peeking into the red every time I kind of pop like that pop. But hopefully it's not that bad. But yeah, let's continue. Let's move on. So next thing I wanted to quickly touch upon was this. So as you guys know. I was in Berlin the other weekend, had a, had a bunch of fun, really, really good, amazing fun, great, great, great. But for the first time in a long time, I didn't actually go to Bergheim. I actually went to every other club except for the Bergheim because I kind of went to have a bit of a housey, disco-y weekend, which was great. And I did so. Obviously, check out my previous episode and you'll be able to see me, hear me talk about my, my time going to Toy Tonics, which is a dance party primarily focused on like Itello disco music, disco music essentially, and house music. It was a really fun time. I had a blast. It was amazing. But when I was thinking of going to Berghain, I looked at the lineup. I was like, oh, there's a person on the lineup who's playing on, on Berghain main floor on that same weekend I was going to. That I didn't really know who they were. A couple of people. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I went to check the Instagram at the time and I saw from both accounts, I think one person had like less than 10,000 and the other person may have had about a thousand or something followers on there. And it got me thinking like, for everything bad people say about Berghain, they do a really good job of booking actual up and coming people. So Berghain is definitely the the kind of the number one place that most DJs want to play at apart from maybe big festivals it's definitely the number one nightclub most DJs who occupy the dance music um, genres of like techno house you know electro and what else you know that they basically want to play in that venue and for the most part, you would imagine most weekends, because they book people every weekend and stuff, they'd have a stacked list of people lined up and it would usually be the who's who of DJing world plus their residents. So really, really strong DJs. Their residents are really, really amazing. Plus they put big, really big guests. But this, the weekend that I went, they actually booked two people who aren't that well-known, like actual up-and-coming DJs. One of them in DJ Maria, this person here, who at the last time I checked, I think, I'm pretty sure when I checked her profile before, she had less than, I'm going to say less than 8,000 followers. Maybe it's gone up now since she's played at Berghain. But again, you wouldn't say this is like a big artist. Of course, she's doing her thing. She's obviously smashing it and kind of doing whatever she used to do. She clearly plays in a lot of places, uh, maybe back home and whatnot. So she's smashing it. And then this other person on the list that I thought was, that I didn't really hear, know too much of prior to going, was this person called Peach on Fuse, which I have on here also. 
And this person, Petron Fuse, if I'm not mistaken, has 1,597 followers. Now, I'm only saying this not, not to kind of deride the details of the people performing, but this is a credit to Bergheim. This, this, I think, I hope should be a sign or should be something that other venues do also. Because Bergheim is the number one, the biggest club in the world, the best club in the world, the one that everyone wants to play at. And they're able and willing to give a chance to up-and-coming people. And I think other clubs around the world, especially the ones in the UK, they would never book somebody that has like a thousand followers. Fabric, for instance, is a good example. Um, even Egg in these kind of places, you have to be somebody quite notable. You have to have a name. You have to have a production. You maybe have to book it. And, you know, the only way maybe you could play it is if you have your own night. But the fact that one of the biggest clubs in the world give up-and-coming DJs a shot is really amazing and really, really cool. And I wish we had the same thing here um, in the UK so that there was a clearer path to go from like, you know, playing in your bedroom to suddenly playing in front of a crowd. Whereas now there's not really. The only path that I kind of know from personal experience that could kind of work from going to playing on a MIDI player to going to play in an actual venue like Printworks or like Fabric or like Fold and stuff is to maybe just run your own night. And of course, running your own night requires money. It requires you having to book people. It requires organization, blah, blah, blah. So it's a whole different affair. It's a different skill set. Just because you're a good DJ doesn't mean you're going to be a good event promoter. They're two separate things. But if you actually want to get your name out there, if you can't produce or you don't want to produce, or you just want to DJ, that is really the only way to kind of get booked. It's very rare, I would imagine, you know, maybe unless you get booked for Unfold at Fold or something on a Sunday, I can't ever imagine a scenario where they would book somebody they didn't know for that has like a thousand followers on flipping social media. It wouldn't happen. But still, these people are amazing. You know, obviously, big up DJ Maria. I'm sure that that bump of playing at Bergheim helped, you know, got loads of views here. 8,000 more for a whole mix that happened recently. So clearly, these things help in terms of getting your profile out there. But I just wanted to give those guys a heads up and a kind of a shout out because I don't necessarily see that thing happening with other smaller clubs. And I think. The good thing with Burkhan is that they set the they set the trend and set an example, obviously with the whole like no photo policy and shit. But I wish other clubs would instead of just copying the no photo policy and all that sort of malarkey, actually copy their programming, right? They have resident DJs, people that play there every weekend, a whole slew of people that kind of play there, like people like Roy Perez being a good example and a few others, right? They kind of have them playing there all the time. Why not have the same thing and even someone like Itap Kyle's another resident DJ there also, right? And I think Aurora Hall's also and somebody else. I forgot anyway um these people are always play they play the kind of every other weekend why can't other big clubs have the same thing why is it always kind of kind of left to places like Bergheim to do it other clubs should do it as well especially here in the UK and I wish they would do it because it kind of would give people like myself on the come up a clear path of how we can kind of get from like you know zero to wherever on that sort of level but yeah big up DJ Maria uh big up a uh, peach on fuse for it being able to play on flipping you know at Bergheim during that weekend absolutely smashed it clearly and had a great time so love to see it you absolutely love to see it okay so uh what people want to moving on from here let's do this ba, 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 ba. what's i want to talk about here let's move on but bear me one second see if i can get this stuff out i want to talk about yeah cool this one so quickly talk about this so this has been in the news this is like local uk news stuff but this is pretty hilarious so recently um this really big things happened in the UK where one of our you know politicians Matt Hancock um, text messages have been leaked to the public and Matt Hancock was like you know it kind of substantial was the health minister I think at the time during COVID-19 and um, a lot of the stuff that he was talking about in private behind the scenes about COVID and about lockdowns and about restrictions and stuff has obviously been put out to the public and of course it's not too forgiving 
and also other stuff concerning our now Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in terms of his initiative, which was a thing called the Eat Out Help Out Scheme. And at the time, the Eat Out Help Out Scheme was essentially the government's way to kind of revive the economy, to kind of get people out eating and stuff and going to stores and shopping and buying drinks, buying food. And I think the whole premise around it was that on a certain day in the week, I think it was like a Wednesday or something, everywhere you went, you basically were able to get half price food like menu options and stuff. So it kind of, you know, encourage people to get back out again. And you'd hope if people are willing to go eat, it means they might go and get a haircut. It means they might go and buy a new outfit, all that sort of stuff kind of tied into it. But at the time, myself included, were thinking, hold on, if you have these eat out, help out schemes, but then you still have restrictions in terms of people gathering places, at the time clubs were still closed, it doesn't make any sense. If anything, you're, you're kind of, if you're under this premise that everyone has to kind of like stay in to keep people safe and stuff and whatnot, then going out to eat, even if you're wearing a face mask and you're behind some stupid perspex shield that only goes up to here, surely that's still not going to be good because it's going to mean people are going to be affected and whatnot. But the government kept telling us, no, 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 relax, relax. It's okay. Everything's fine. Just comply, comply. Okay, we complied. And now, many years after, it's now been leaked and put out there that the government knew all along. They knew all along that it was a bad idea and they still went ahead with it and kind of essentially covered it up um, just so they can get this scheme rolling. So it says the following. Matt Hancock leaks lead to cover-up fears over the Eat Out Help Out scheme. It says Richie Sunak faces calls from an inquiry into whether the Treasury Office buried or ignored evidence that his 849 million, God almighty, nearly a billion it cost, that scheme, Eat Out Help Out scheme, fueled the spread of the pandemic. Officials dismissed a Warwick University study in October 2020 that said Sunak's initiative may have caused significant rise in COVID infections. The report estimated an Eight point an eight to seventeen percent de detected new clusters could be linked to the scheme. So essentially, people died off the back of this scheme. Legitimately, people died. So the government were complicit in covering this up. And essentially, you could say, without being hyperbolic, that they have blood on their hands, legit blood on their hands. Of course, nothing will happen, but these people should be tried for war crimes. This is horrendous. Despite the government categorically rejecting the findings, the publications of former Health Secretary Mike, sorry, Matt Hancock's WhatsApp messages appeared to confirm that there were concerns about the then-chancellor scheme in summer 2020 driving an increase in infections. In the leaked messages obtained by the Daily Telegraph, Hancock told the Cabinet Secretary Simon Cass that he had kept it out of the news and that the initiative was spreading the virus. He said that his departments had informed the Treasury and was protecting officials. Jonathan Protz, a professor of economics in the public policy at King's College London and a former civil servant at the Treasury, said, It looks on the face of it that the Treasury was deliberately trying to conceal that evidence was about eat out, help out. We need to know what exactly the Department of Health told the Treasury, what was said in internally about the data and what their advice was with the ministers. He said the evidence um, to date suggested that there had been a cover-up and the Treasury needed to publish all the relevant documents. He said it was disgraceful and unprofessional to dismiss the Wark University paper, which was on a matter of significant public interest and there should now be an inquiry. But just imagine all the backlash and the fallout from COVID is still going on. People are still being flipping flocked and punished. And even Matt Hancock, he's never, ever going to recover from this. He tried to revive his career, become a reality TV star. And he even, 
in the process no he did put out a book actually which obviously led to these leaks which is another incredible story and another warning and a sign why most people should never trust journalists myself included I spoke about a story recently concerning some stuff that happened to me in the past and I had a few journalists reach out to me about kind of get taking part of this story this documentary and I was sort of flirting with the idea you know what this could be good to kind of speak about this and get it out there and whatnot get my little five minutes of fame but I was like you know what I've listened to too many podcasts I've read too many articles I've seen too many documentaries where I know journalists it's, it will always kind of you know essentially bite you in the butt they're always going to do that they're always going to look out for themselves and you will be the unwitting or the unfortunate victim so I was like you know what my story's out there anyway I've got my own platform I can say what I want and to a certain extent I said my piece and that's enough I don't need to kind of have it funneled and interpreted and twisted for a journalist and Matt Hancock now knows because this lady, this lady here called Isabel Okershot, how is it, how you pronounce her name? Isabel Okershot, right? This woman was essentially the ghostwriter for his autobiography, right? And Matt Hancock being the, U the UK's former health secretary, one of the people that is in charge of kind of mandating, you know, COVID-19 policies. This lady was hired by Matt Hancock to ghostwrite and to help him kind of put together his autobiography, you know, talking about his time during COVID and what he learned and blah, blah, blah. Basically, his attempt to kind of revive his reputation. Cool. They did a book. They put it out. The book does horrible. It doesn't sell well because everyone bloody hates Matt Hancock and blames Matt Hancock for essentially ruining their lives, destroying their businesses and basically changing them fundamentally as people right because covid and pandemic has changed us fundamentally cool that happens now for whatever reason this lady in the process of writing an autobiography matt hancock handed over to her a zip file of all of his whatsapp messages over 100,000 of them and she decided that it was in the interest of the public to publish them so somebody that he hired and paid money to made a sign of nda took her what's his whatsapp messages used them to write the book and then later after releasing the book then released the, the flipping findings out to the public so essentially she double dipped she is able to get paid a fee whatever it was to consult for the book and then she released the findings of the of the whatsapp messages to the public for public interest because of all the betrayals and scams and stuff about covid and now she's on a press tour all over the place getting appearances even if she's not being paid for his appearances these all add to her kind of social clout credit so it's kind of getting her more fame and whatnot out there so matt hancock got absolutely f-c-u-k-e-d'd by this journalist and it's another proof again why you should never ever trust a journalist because they're always going to look out for number one so this is a story courtesy of talk tv um talk tv's on why she betrayed matt hancock she says um speaking to talk tv's julia um hartley brewer she defended her actions as being the in the public interest because people were still paying the price for decisions the government made during the pandemic um acting in the uh, whatever this isn't about embarrassing individual politicians. It's about making sure it's a catastrophe isn't repeated. Now, another thing I probably would need to note, the journalist thing as well, it does help when you're a woman, isn't it? Because I don't think Matt Hancock is handing over messages from WhatsApp, private ones, and getting buddy-buddy with this woman she didn't look the way she did, right? She wasn't white and blonde. I'm not saying she's hot, but you know, you know, standard white guys love, they love a good blonde, right? It's just what they get kind of, it's, it goes, it's, like, it's like black guys with like big bums or Latinas. It's kind of a kryptonite. For a standard white dude like Matt Hancock, his kryptonite is going to be a blonde lady, right? Especially if she's educated and she's, you know, um, worldly, cultured, a bit funny and whatnot. Like, that's definitely going to be the thing. So they were probably flirting at some coffee shop and he handed over the USB thinking he was a flipping playboy. And she absolutely, she absolutely stabbed him in the back. Um, and it continues, says, I make no apology whatsoever for acting in the public interest on this. It's a matter of utmost importance that we get to the truth of what really happened during the pandemic. Um, 
um, and the government's response to the pandemic. Delegations are based over um, on over 100,000 WhatsApp messages. Um, Isabel was provided by Mr. Hancock while, per, while working on his Pandemic Diaries memoir that gave an insight into the government's handling of the pandemic. Mr. Hancock has denied the claims. I hate the Pandemic Diaries title of his autobiography because it reminds you of that time do you remember during the pandemic during lockdown when everyone kept posting like okay day three of lockdown like they kept doing these like um social media diaries like day 77 of the lockdown like sometimes being funny but sometimes just like being like legit i'm going crazy and it's like look we're all going crazy like shut the fuck up and just you know um you know take it like the rest of us why do you need to vocalize it and get us to flipping you know be you know bombard us with your misery we're all dealing with it like in our private way but people wanted to kind of label it and put it out as a bit bits of content it just annoyed me anyway it continues the messages reveal former health secretary matt hancock was involved in a bitter behind the scenes clash with then education secretary uh, sir gavin williamson over moves to keep schools open during the pandemic other messages confirmed the covid19 test was a courier to jacob reese mogg home for one of his children by health official during the pandemic and mr reese mogg claimed he did it it did not ask for it this is one of the most egregious ones if i'm not mistaken there was a time in the uk where covid19 test kits were were really run were running low because I don't know about your country where you're at, but in the UK, we had a scheme where you get it for free. You just have to fill out a government website and they'd send them to you. And usually they'd come within a couple of days. But um, for whatever time, it, there was a short shortage of them and you couldn't get any and you had to pay for them to get some, um, whatever it may be. And they're just, you know, they're just hard to come by regardless, even if you paid for them. But this Philippine um, government official, Jacob Reese mogg because one of his kids felt ill and basically had a cold or had COVID, he personally got a kit couriered from the kit flipping location to his home tested it put it back in the courier's hands sent it back got the results and got the results quicker than everybody else so essentially jumped the queue why is everyone else is waiting people are dying people are not sure what they've got these guys are just helping themselves while they while they're having parties while they're gathering in place eating behind the eating behind closed door restaurants and stuff absolutely horrifying but yeah this is just definitely confirmation again for anybody that needed to have it that you should never ever under any circumstances trust a journalist because they will eventually eventually always stab you in the back and look out for their own interests as of course that lady's proved <laughs> no surprise whatsoever uh big up matt hancock for being um that, that's that feels like a bit of a honey trap isn't it that does it feels like a honey trap but anyway moving on from that one let's talk about this which i think is pretty cool um so this is courtesy of the atlantic it's a pretty cool article right it says the following Low-wage jobs are becoming middle-class jobs. Millions of low-income families are experiencing less financial stress and even a modicum of comfort, which is brilliant. So essentially what they're saying is that for whatever reason, we're in a state of now the economy, maybe because stuff is kind of like leveling out or whatnot, and we're kind of coming out of whatever mini recession we're in. But it now means that people in that want to... Basically, the competition for a low-skilled jobs, especially if you're an employer, to get employees, like you're having to compete for people now to get your job. So in order to draw them in, these low-paying jobs are now increasing the hourly wage. The hourly, sorry, wage. So before, I remember for me, when I used to work retail or work in bars, uh, <laughs> I work in retail in bars. Sorry, I just glanced at the chat and I saw someone typed in 7-0. So, hey, whoever typed that in, oh, it's Teju. Go, go and dance in traffic. We're not talking about that right now, okay? This is a podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what Seven Nodes referring to. I've not seen anything. Um, 
I don't know. I don't even know English that well. I just come to the country recently. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what you're speaking about. And this is what this is. This is my final word on it. Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. So continuing on, these low-skilled jobs now. Uh, these employers are now forced to pay people more money in order to kind of attract them, attract these players to come in, which is great. Because I remember for me when I used to work retail, I used to work in the service industry. One of the I remember like a time when I got promoted. This is a promotion, imagine. I had a job where I was working as a sales assistant and then I was able to kind of um, apply to become the supervisor, which is not even the assistant manager. It's kind of the level of a, a, a below assistant manager. But you get the keys, you, you're able to kind of uh, put the rotor together, you're able to kind of do stock takes and stuff, maybe merchandise, but you're not really like management management. But you're still management in a way, which is kind of a cheap way for them to kind of get more out of you. Regardless, I digress. At the time, I was working on a shop floor as a sales assistant full time, um, and this was at Dr. Martin's. I was getting eight pound an hour, and for me that was like great, especially if I was living at home. Amazing money. Then suddenly, I applied for the promotion, quote unquote, um, to be the supervisor role. And I was applying it. I was competing with another guy that I was working for at the time. And, you know, it probably led to us falling out, actually. Um, I, remember, I remember recently once he added me and then unfollowed me on Instagram. I think he still feels salty about it because I think he was meant to get it. And then he kind of fluffed the interview and I kind of got, the, got it, even though I wasn't working there that long. Um, so I then got the promotion to become a supervisor. And my manager made a big deal about me getting a pay rise. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a pay rise. And I, in my head, think I'm going to get a pay rise. It's going to be mad money. I get a job, I officially signed, the, I get the contract, I'm about to sign it, I look at the hourly wage and the increase that I got from being a full-time sales assistant with having no managerial duties or responsibilities and then being a quote-unquote key holder, the only promotion bump I got was one pound. So I went from earning eight pound an hour to nine pound an hour being basically a quasi assistant manager without the title. I was a supervisor. I was still, you know, somewhat in charge and I had to do the rotor and had a key and had to do do stock and whatever it may be. But I was only getting paid nine pounds an hour. Nine pound an hour. So I remember that being like a real piss take. I was like, bloody hell, man. People, I know it's not like, it's, you know, I'm not a programmer at the time. I wasn't, you know what I mean? I wasn't flipping, I wasn't doing flipping heart surgery or something, but it was still a hard job. It still required a lot of you and it should be getting paid way more than eight pound an hour regardless. So it's nice to hear that now times have moved on where the kind of entry level or the kind of standard wage, I think now the entry level wage, I think for a job like that is maybe like nine pound or something. So it's even increased now. So I'm sure in other places, especially if you go work for like a designer brand and you're working for let's say like a Balenciaga for sure they're going to pay you way more per hour but it's good that they're having to compete that the market's kind of forced that so people on people that would be getting low-wage jobs are a little bit more picky and now the employers are having to kind of you know um, acquiesce and do as so let's quickly read the topic and it'll kind of go over the things I spoke about it says Last month, Target announced that it would pay new employers as much as $24 an hour and extend health benefits to anyone working at least 25 an hour um, hours a week. The company is hardly the only one coughing up cash to lure in new workers or retain those on staff. Starbucks recently set a national minimum wage of $15. Uh, McDonald's Dairy Queen and Subway franchises have been offering signing um, incentives and Lowe's is giving bonuses to hourly workers this month. For me, I say this because I've always operated, and again, maybe people are different, but because I've always had like kind of, you know, aspirations and dreams to do other things, right, outside of working for the man, I've always looked at jobs a little bit, I've kind of, it's kind of bad, I've kind of matured now, but I kind of looked at jobs a little bit beneath me. 
a little bit beneath me. I kind of thought, you know what? I'm always going to make it. I'm going to do something good. But that's obviously not a good attitude to have. You have to always respect your job, respect your work and kind of, you know, I kind of now treat my work as an opportunity for me to kind of make money that I can then funnel back into stuff that I want to do, you know, whether it's buying DJ equipment, buying camera stuff, you know, designing things, printing things, whatever. That That's where I use that much. So I, so I kind of respect that job because it's given me the funds to do that. Obviously, it gives me some structure also, meet new people, learn new skills, blah, blah, blah. But even if you don't respect jobs and you just treat them solely as a thing for you to make money, a good flipping, I think, incentive for you to work is to pay more, right? To pay slightly more because then it gives you a reason to be professional. It gives you a reason to be on time. It gives you a reason to just be just be a good employee. And I think that's really important in general. Even if you don't expect your job, just be a good employee and don't be like a drag, be like a, a, a an addition. People are not going to be upset. They see your name on the road. So like, it's going to be a long night. No, you want to be like kind of, you know, you want to help out people and shit. But a good way to help out people and stuff, I think just pay them more per hour. You pay them more per hour, I'm turning up on time every single day. Do you know what I mean? I'm not really asking for many holidays. I'm going to be banging out as many hours as possible, stacking my cash and then maybe taking a long trip, but I'm going to be on it like Sonic. And I think this is a good way to kind of get people's buy-in. Instead of doing the whole fake, we're a family nonsense that startups do, pretending like, you know, you care about the app that you're working, the company that you're working for when you don't really, just incentivize them by giving them more money, you know, maybe some bonuses and perks along the lines if you do want to progress, so that if you want to just work, just so you can buy your flipping Amiri jeans and you can, you know continue paying your car note you can but if you obviously want to progress and you want a career and you want to climb up the ladder you can also i think it works both ways it continues this is good news what is even better is that such pay bumps are not just a recent trend after the brutal few decades in which low-wage proliferated sorry low-wage jobs proliferated the american middle class hollowed out um the working poor that have started to earn more a lot more many low-wage jobs have become middle-wage jobs and incomes are increasing faster for poorer workers than for wealthier ones a dynamic known as wage compression oh, i don't know there's a term for it wage compression me like it as a result millions of low-income families are experiencing less financial stress and even a modicum of comfort. Though the country's surging rents and rising prices of inflation are burdening them too, the yawning gaps between the different groups of American workers, black, white, young and old, and those without college degrees and those with one, have stopped widening and started narrowing. Measures of poverty and income inequality are dropping. I um, hesitate to call this the Great Compression, given that the earnings disparities remain the dominant feature of American labor market and American life. Um, but it really is a remarkable trend, a half decade old little compressions that policymakers should do everything in their power to extend, expand and turn great. Labor economics have identified two phenomena, one incremental, slow, one radical and sudden that have boosted the fortunes of the working poor. The first is that unemployment rate has gotten low enough for long enough to force companies to compete compete for workers thus raising wages we love to hear it you love to hear it the jobless um rate trickled down excruciating slowly during the obama years and has did uh, the ratio for job seekers openings but by the time the president donald trump took office employees in many parts of the country started to struggle to find retail uh, or retain workers we finally had the right labor sorry the tight labor market with well-functioning job ladder meaning that people were leaving the worst paying jobs said um whoever that person is <laughs> the economists at University of Massachusetts. Um, states and cities lifting their minimum wages might have helped bolster the trend. Indeed, one analyst found before the coronavirus hurt, 
hit wage compression was occurring only in states that were lifting their minimums. So wage compression is happening. Low paid workers are getting paid loads of money and I'd love to hear it. If you want to read the entire article, you can. It's available there on The Atlantic. Low wage jobs are becoming middle class. I'll put the link for this in the description once this show has finished so you can check it out if you haven't already. So you can check it out if you haven't already. Next on the list, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Um, let's move on from that one, not that. Let's talk about this. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. So, have you guys seen this? This is pretty wild, isn't it, right? So, I don't really follow basketball too much, but I know this guy because I just see him on social media all the time. Ja Morant has, um, what you call it, been in a bit of hot bother because for whatever reason, he decided to jump on Instagram Live and brandish a gun while he's wearing this like really tight diamond choker around his neck and playing whatever music he's playing in the background. And, you know, for most kids or for most rappers and stuff, it wouldn't be a problem. But him being a professional NBA player, a current, um, very, uh, what's, what's that called? Very visible and very popular NBA player is definitely something that you shouldn't be doing in the slightest. And it's made even worse because the kid, if I'm not mistaken, comes from a pretty good background. Like he was raised in a pretty decent family in a good neighborhood and whatnot. And by all accounts, he never was a real troublemaker. So to suddenly in your like mid 20s or early 20s to suddenly turn into some goon is really cringy. You see a lot online, which I'm liking. As much as people like to kind of proliferate or kind of, you know, egg on this whole gang culture thing with documentaries and shit online, you do see this meme online with people taking a piss out of certain people who, like, join gangs in their late 20s. It's kind of a, you know, it's kind of R-worded. Um, for the most part, you would imagine, you know, from even me being in, like, bad neighbourhoods, most of the kids that end up in gangs, it's not necessarily something you do to kind of show off and be cool. It's just something that happens because of the, you know, the environment you're in. And sometimes you don't even realise you're in a gang un until you're in one because your friends are just your friends. They just, you know, you don't even think about them as gang. You're just kind of people you hanged around with since you were, like, five or six years old. So it's for kids who grew up in circumstances that didn't require them to roll in groups of packs of gangs of people to protect themselves to go from living in a private to living in a good area being in a private school but then want to adopt all that lifestyle someone that lived in those kind of neighborhoods is really bizarre it doesn't make any sense people are obviously going crazy over it so curse of the bbc ja Morant, memphis grizzlies guard takes full responsibility as nba investigates social media video Memphis Grizzlies star Ja Morant says he takes full responsibility um, for his actions as the NBA investigates a video that appears to show him holding a gun in a nightclub. Oh, that's cool. I thought he's at home, so he's in a nightclub. God, it's um, All-star guard Morant23 appeared to hold up a handgun in a live broadcast on his Instagram page on Saturday. It occurred hours after the Grizzlies lost. <laughs> they lost as well. Imagine, man. The goal and some professional athletes nowadays have like no shame. I talk about even footballers being the same thing. You'll see these footballers like my team, Man United, we lost flipping 7-0 to our worst rivals, our most fiercest rivals, Liverpool. And you'll see some of these flipping Man United players posting videos of them in the club somewhere, driving their car, doing this, like just with their, like not having a care in the world how this might affect the fans. For me as a fan, I can't watch football for the next week. I skip watching match of the day. I'm not watching match of the day. I'm not watching the highlights. I'm going to avoid all social media and football stuff. I'm blanking it all out. That's how much it hurts me. But the players, they don't give a crap. You know what I mean? This guy was in a club brandishing guns, throwing up gang signs when the Grizzlies just lost. <laughs> He's like, what? 
Moran, who's been suspended for at least two games, apologizes and says that he would get help. He says, I take full responsibility for my actions last night. Um, I'm sorry to my family, to my teammates, to my coaches, to my fans, partners, the city of Memphis and the entire Grizzlies organizations for letting them down. I'm going to take some time away to get help and work on learning better methods of dealing with stress and my overall well-being. Stress. Come on. Are they going to try to turn him being infatuated with gang culture into mental health, into a mental health thing. It's not. He's just a dumb kid. And if anything, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise. If all these rappers nowadays, the most popular ones especially, especially guys from the drill scene, they're legitimately, I wouldn't say glorifying, but their lifestyle is that, right? They're going, they're spinning the block, they're, 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 they're lining up ops and stuff, blah, 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 blah. It's no surprise that young kids growing up are also going to maybe, you know, fantasize about that lifestyle, especially if you're not from it. It's going to be a little bit more romantic, a little bit more like, you know, uh, starry-eyed to you than actually people that live that, that life for real, for real. So I kind of get it. But to kind of spin it as a mental health thing is not really taking accountability. If anything, you're sort of uh, pushing accountability or responsibility to those bad gangster people. No, gangsters are always going to exist. Goons are always going to exist. It's up to you if you've grown up in a good environment with good parenting to make the good decision. Because again, that's, his parents must be super pissed off because his parents probably did everything right. They put him in the right school. They probably didn't even beat him at home. They, you know, they treat him like an adult. They gave him loads of personal responsibility. And just now, when he just signs a big contract, he's got a shoe with Nike, the flipping, you know, the world's his oyster, right? His highlights on, on YouTube and in Twitter are racking the thousands of views. Even his sister, who plays women's basketball, his sister, right? His sister's getting a bit of the clout from him. That's how famous he's getting. You're, you're, you're becoming so famous, your siblings get some of your rub, right? So you're lifting everybody up at once. Everybody's becoming a multimillionaire because of you. And then this is the time he decides to start brandishing guns and start playing thug and all that malarkey. That's not mental health. That's just you being an idiot. Take responsibility and stop. Do you know what I mean? Leave it alone. It's not for you. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. NBA spokesperson Mike Bass said, we're aware of social media posts involving John Moran and we are investigating. In a statement, the Memphis Star, uh, sorry, the Memphis Grizzlies said that John Moran will be away for the team for the next two games. That's what it, it, that's what it takes. It only takes two games to not be a goon. After pretending to be a goon and trying to say you're riding out ops, and what is it? What's he gonna do? Is he make? Is he gonna make a a diss track against that NBA commissioner, the guy that's got like the pencil neck with a bald head? After doing all that, all it takes is two days of de of deconditioning, two days of him watching really wholesome videos of like Kobe Bryant, watching clips of like of like I don't know Magic Johnson doing some philanthropy, um, watching highlights of Michael Jordan working out in the gym, or rewatching that fucking Chicago Bulls um, documentary on Netflix. That's all it takes and then he's gonna come back he's gonna be like i'm new now i'm focusing on the game it's like come on man um the grizzlies are, are the second in the western conference they face los angeles clippers on sunday the los angeles lakers on tuesday in the next two game around is averaging 27.1 points and 8.2 assists per game this season and made his second consecutive all-star appearances last month but yeah it's all him it's it's an idiot move I've, i don't think i've never seen it in my in life in real time somebody hustling backwards like you get given everything and then you just like fumble it if anything it kind of reminds me a little bit of brendan Schaub, right the fact that brendan Schaub kind of got every cosign the best introduction into the game and still manages to mess it up that's a similar kind of thing but this is even worse because when you come from like black the black community you making it in sports and become a professional athlete Regardless if he went to went to private school, that is like uh, 
that is like a generation that's like a generational change in circumstances if you if you do right by your sport by your talent by your gifts you can legitimately uplift your entire family for generations to come like you can set the precedent. look at lebron james right i mean that his kids 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 are set for life all because he knows how to fucking you know throw a fucking ball into a hoop that's what he can do for you can really take you from like zero to whatever else at the top so the fact that he's willfully and willingly (laughs) pissing it all up a wall is hilarious like hilarious literally hilarious and i think for once his family like rung the emergency bell they got everybody involved uncles aunties extended families ex-pros friends in the media they all probably did an intervention said look guy you cannot mess this up like you are legit not even a breadwinner you are like the the person that's going to be giving everybody an opportunity to kind of make something for themselves like i said before his sister is getting hype on social media because she plays basketball and they look similar she's getting a rub there's probably an auntie in his community that's opened a restaurant because of the money he gave her and she's using his face to market the thing on social media and people are like all these things are happening because he just plays basketball really well and he's kind of got all these responsibilities now with other people that he has to look after obviously himself also but he has to keep that in mind so to willfully and willingly do what he's doing now is legitimately hilarious to me because I, I don't know why sometimes when i see people like fucking up on purpose when they don't have any reason to it's like wow man you're doing this like with full consciousness and i don't like the flipping mental health spin again too many people kind of leaning on mental health just take responsibility you messed up you did a wrong you did an oopsie do right and kind of correct it going forward but you know maybe he actually wants to be that guy maybe this is actually him going forward you never actually know so maybe you're kind of denying him to actually you're denying him of the ability to kind of be his actual true self. Maybe that's the thing you're doing to someone like that. You're denying him the ability to be his actual true self. You're just kind of, you know, leaving him to be there somewhere else. I think, nah, man, just embrace it. But yeah, but it also got me thinking a little bit. This is, has some correlation, again, maybe a bit of a stretch, but this might have some correlation to what's been going on with Michael B. Jordan little bit so i'm sure most of you guys are aware again it's a bit of an old story but recently michael b jordan a um, new film creed i think it's creed 3 came out right and he's been going viral on flipping um social media because he's on a red carpet for his movie i think he's actually exactly i think he actually produces it too so whatever right so his movie that he's in starring in he's on a red carpet and he gets interviewed by this woman called l'oreal and this lady was somebody that went to high school with him and in a previous interview before creed came out a long time ago the, um, she said in an interview that when she was going coming up in school all her her and her friends used to tease and somewhat bully michael jordan because they thought he was corny because he was you know i don't know he, he was all about you know making it as an actor he was working out a bunch according to her he used to carry his headshot around places tell people about his dreams and stuff you know just kind of you know a go-getter type in school we've all got them we knew we all knew that personality of somebody who was kind of you know acting like a star when they were like in high school we've all seen that person so every reason um her and her friends didn't basically vibe with it and kind of teased teased him about it obviously some years passed along the line and now here's michael b jordan on the red carpet of his movie getting interviewed by this girl that's a teaser and she brings it up in the interview she brings it up and michael b jordan i think does the most subtle i think and the best humble flex ever because if that was me if i'm michael b jordan and somebody used to quote unquote bully me especially a girl especially a black girl you know whatever racially ambiguous but let's say a black girl especially a black girl 
if she bullied me in school back in the day and now she get teased and in a predominantly black school by another black girl and used to giggle every time I'm walking by in the hallway and throw things at me and say little jokes or quips at me or whatnot and not invite me to parties and all that sort of stuff and just tease me for being somebody that didn't want to just smoke weed and chill out and that's actually chasing my dreams. If I was him and I suddenly turned into Michael B. Jordan, I would be shitting on you so hard. I'd be laying my entire bullsack on your forehead. The entire thing. The entire bullsack on, on your forehead. Skin and hair included. The in, like, like a little hat. Like a little toupee. Lying it on your head. Saying, how do you like me now? That's what I'd be doing. But Michael B. Jordan is way more classy than I am. And he didn't. He just did a slight little, you know, I know who you are, Ting. Let's quickly play the clip here. E. Jordan, the director mm -hmm. and the star of Creed 3. And, you know, we know each other. We go way back all the way to Chad Science in Newark, okay? What a corny kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. I did not say that. Misquoted for sure. <laughs> Look at his face. I did not say that. Misquoted for sure. She's like, no, I saw it. I heard it. I saw it. And the original quote itself, if I, don't, if, I don't, if I remember correctly, looking up at this page, it's got the actual quote of what he said, right? was this. Um, this is what she said, the woman herself. She says, uh, on this article, scroll up here. That's when L'Oreal, went, who went to school with him at 7 to 11, 7 to 11, sorry, 7 to 12th grade academy in New York back in the day said in regards to the corny comment that he definitely gave the vibe to his classmates. At the time, he was trying to get his career off the ground as a young model and actor. She admitted they were always making him the butt of the joke. So making fun of him. In school, basically, even if you're a girl, it doesn't matter that he's a boy and you can probably beat her up. The fact that you're making someone the butt of the jokes, essentially you're bullying them. So that's basically what they were doing. Um, she says, you know what's so crazy? I went to school with Michael B. Jordan at that point in my life. Um, we went to Chad Science Academy together in Newark. To be honest with you, we teased him all the damn time because his name was Michael Jordan. Let's start there. And he was no Michael Jordan. That is pure hate already, right? Um, she said, he also would come to school with a headshot and we lived in Newark. That's the hood. We would make fun of him like, what are you going to do with your stupid headshot? And now look at him. So she's even hating till this day. She's still hating, which you have to give her props. You know, she's continuing to hate, continuing on. But I would say all this to say, to take into account the, the flipping um, Jamarant story, this is kind of the, the issue and some of the kind of hassles of kind of being black in general, right? Because on one side, you've got this kid who kind of wants to proliferate, who kind of wants to kind of adopt and sort of like, you know, absorb and kind of play up to the image of being like some sort of gangster because of the music he listens to or because of what he sees in culture overall and maybe because of where he's from, blah, blah, blah. Even though he hasn't grown up in those circumstances, right? He kind of idolizes and puts it on some sort of level. He wants to be a quote-unquote real N-word. But then on the other side, you've got this guy, Michael B. Jordan, who by, from an early age, he already says in interviews that he didn't drink, he didn't party much, but he was always on job. And if you think about it, I think he was in The Wire really early on. He was in Friday Night's Lights. Like, clearly he had a, a goal and a dream, aspiration that he was trying to kind of aim for. And he was really laser focused, even from that age. So because of that, and because of how he carried himself, he was corny. And he got teased and mocked for it. This guy grew up really good, really rich, really nice in Jamaran and never really exposed to a ghetto in any kind of way. Makes it, sees that culture now becoming popular and wants to adopt it and he's looked at as quote-unquote being real. Do you know what I mean? It's like, 
It's, it's, it's a nonsense. Either way, it's a nonsense. Just be yourself. Just actually be comfortable in your own skin and be happy with whatever way you grew up. Whether you grew up in the slums and you had to get it from the mud, cool. Credit to you. Keep it going. No one cares. Do you know what I mean? Still become a decent human being. It doesn't mean because your circumstances are horrible that you have to kind of be like that until, you know, until your adult ages. Grow up. Mature. That's great. But also, if you become, if you're the corny guy, don't try and adopt to be the hood guy to kind of fit in because you never know that corny role could make you become a multi, multi, multi millionaire and a global star, which has made flipping Michael B. Jordan. And I don't even think he's corny. What's actually corny about him? I think the only thing that's corny about him is the fact that he clearly doesn't, you know, he clearly isn't shy of a camera. He clearly likes to take his top off quite a lot, likes to work out. Maybe he's not the greatest actor, but the corny thing, I've never really understood in the most part, but I just find it interesting, the kind of parallel between Ja Morant and Michael B. Jordan in those kind of stories going forward. But the funniest part for me has definitely been the reaction from other people, and one of them being Joe Budden. Joe Budden decided for every reason to kind of get involved and sort of lend his ear to it. And if you're not familiar with Joe Budden, one of the things to be familiar about him is is that he's a consummate hater like he kind of embraces the fact that he's a hater but he also has a list of people that he hates for a specific reason like for instance like he hates Tyler the Creator randomly because one time I think at like a I think at like a Rock the Bells or some sort of festival somewhere I don't know which one it was um, when when um, Odd Future were first coming up he was booked the same day that they were playing and they got into the same area of the festival behind the scenes and you know how Tyler and Earl and all those guys were back in the day they were crazy so they were acting the way they were acting back in the day but that was Joe Budden's first experience ever seeing them and he immediately got put off and since this to this day he still hates Tyler the Creator because of that one flipping interaction so it's really really and Tyler must have been like I don't know 19 or 17 or something at those ages so he's that kind of guy and for whatever reason he's got a thing uh, for hating Michael B. Jordan like it's just a consistent thing and he would take the piss out of his acting on the podcast when I used to listen to it and just as a running joke so when he saw that clip of him basically dunking on that girl on the cat on the red car on the red carpet he took it as a chance to kind of remind people that he thinks Michael B. Jordan's corny which is super ironic because everyone calls Joe Budden corny like he's the height of corny the pictures he takes the outfit he wears the fact that he loves to get involved in flipping women's business the fact that his music career never really reached the heights of his podcast everything about him is corny so the fact that him labeling other people corny is absolutely hilarious but let's hear Joe Budden's rant against michael b jordan and what his thoughts were at the time dog you doing that to a girl True. is some corny i can see that you being that michael b jordan today uh allegedly sexiest man alive in all of these all blockbuster my... movies i agree during your highlight week you've probably never been more visible than you are right this second and that's what you do to her and if i bring back them white girl rumors then it's gonna sound even crazier then it's going to sound crazier. Because why are you talking to our sisters like that on the red carpet? We only talking to white bitches like Boo. He tried to play up into the, white, the, the sisters thing and try and be the advocate for black women, which is hilarious because if anything, if anything, Joe Bunnan's got a really extensive and ferocious history of really disrespecting black women or women full stop. Do you know I mean? You don't want to get into the abuse flipping allegations because I was a former fan of the podcast. I don't want to besmirch his name. But for him to suddenly stand there and become like the advocate of black women, especially with the most recent story of him when he tried to make the network and one one former host of a show that was on his network basically alleged him alleged that he was, you know, being sexually uh, what's that word called? Of sexual misconduct, of being too handsy during the hug. 
and the backlash behind it. And basically, they kind of essentially gaslit her a little bit and made her go into hiding. It was a real big kind of messy affair. But she was a black woman and he really did disrespect her by, you know, basically overstepping the line and whatnot. So him kind of trying to spin as a black woman thing was legitimately, legitimately one of the most hilarious things. And he also tried to defend that lady. He was trying to defend her. That's the thing. That L'Oreal woman, he was trying to defend her and try to basically say, hey, she's a black woman. Don't besmirch her. Respect her. Black queens and whatnot. Blah, blah, blah. And he threw in that little quip about the white woman thing because people, you know, allege or throw this label at Michael B. Jordan that he doesn't really like black girls, even though he dated Laurie Harvey for a long time and maybe other people were there. I don't know, whatever it may be. But my thinking, I was thinking as well, this is a weird stretch to go on. Imagine if you're Michael B. Jordan and you're a black kid growing up in New Jersey, going to a school in the hood or whatnot, even if performing arts or whatever it may be. But, you know, you're getting teased for your name. People thinking you are trying to be Michael Jordan when you're not and you can't play basketball and shit. You're being teased because you like to be professional and you have dreams and you don't want to go out and you're a bit different and stuff and whatnot, wherever it may be. You're being teased all the time. It's predominantly black school. Couldn't it be understandable if that's the origin story for why he is maybe he's maybe prefers dating non-black girls could that be the origin story is, is that is that not acceptable like imagine if that is a legitimately your experience that like you got bullied the entire time you're in school no black girl will give you any love any joy because you weren't necessarily hood looking or you didn't carry yourself a particular kind of way wouldn't it be understandable if all you liked were non-black girls because they were the only ones who accept you for who you were that would make some sense, wouldn't it? It would make some sense. But you say that out loud and people start, you know what I mean? Start on the, oh, boo! That, 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 uh, that Dave Chappelle scene. Boo! Do you know what I mean? Start want to throw stuff at you. But it could be the truth. That's like an actual legit villain origin story, you know? <laughs> kind of thing. Anyway, the funny part about it, just to end this segment, is that the woman that he was defending then went on to her own podcast and invited this other lady called Rocky, Rocky, Rocky for real, who was a former fan, former close friend of Joe Budden, who's now one of his most fiercest ops. Like this lady is like so rude when it comes to disrespecting Joe Budden. And she really hates him. Like, I don't know what happened between them. I don't know if it's some like, you know, lover's tiff and they, they messed around behind the scenes. I don't know what happened, but this Rocky girl was really close to Joe Budden at one time. And they fell out. And now any time that she gets in front of a microphone and they ask her about Joe Budden, she does not, she does not, she does not waste time to really let the clip run and let people know that, nah, I don't mess with that guy. He's a piece of shit, bloody blah, blah, blah. And she did it on that girl's podcast. So the girl that he was trying to defend got one of his fiercest enemies on there and she absolutely ruined him. And this is a clip about it absolutely crazy um we went through a, a lot of shit back and forth with like okay we're best friends we're not best friends he's 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 a head case and i'm yeah. someone that likes oh. to study people and try to figure them out and analyze them like i can fix this dark motherfucker oh. like oh you want to the dark so i'm always <laughs> them i'm that miss I'm fix like, it miss fix it i'm like the oracle i'm like i'm that person mm -hmm. so i got to a point where it just was um it was just a little bit too chaotic for me and his last situation with mm -hmm. um that came to light with his baby moms who i was cool with and, yeah. and i played the, the rescue ranger for her too and that that backfires so after i was like that always happens like, yeah. was he bisexual then um as far as i'm concerned he's a <laughs> was he bisexual then excuse me like i'm trying to defend you as a black woman and you're just out in me <laughs> that's what joe budden gets for whip including himself in women's business. That's why as a man, you should never include yourself in women's business. 
stay chat like me. I stay chatty patty with men stuff, right? I was talking about the Joe, the Bird, Brendan Schaub stuff, the Joe Rogan stuff, but I never mentioned families. I'm never getting involved in all the girl stuff and whatnot. There's some stuff with the you know Andy Lederman or whatever maybe, but for the most part, I leave all that family shit alone. None of my business. And also, you know, you don't want to throw don't throw stones in a glass house. We all have our issues when it comes to that sort of stuff, but. When you're a guy and you actively take part and try to include yourself in shade room stuff, that's what happens, man. You get shaded. Fluid man. Okay. And so I, you like, already knew so this. So I said this on Hot 97 10 years ago. What? It was like, what? Rewind, 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 rewind. Okay. You and you I, already knew this. So I said Let's this on Hot 97. Yeah. Was he bisexual then? Um, as far as I'm concerned, he's a fluid man. Jeez. Okay, so and you I, already knew this. So I said this on Hot 97 10 years ago, and it was like, what would you say that about? I, I always called him my gay bestie. Oh my God. And what's so funny is, um, and this isn't a revelation. He, I, I know. No, he said things on his own podcast. Yeah. And I'm asking because sometimes he plays it off like he's joking, but then when he but said, then, I would have broke his ass in half talking about little talent. things. That's his skill. Like, Let's, he's, he's Black, able did you hear to say, that episode? No, I didn't. Um, yeah, he said no, he would have broke Little Fizz's ass in half had he seen I believe a picture of his asshole earlier. Have you ever heard anything? I thought, like I thought he, I, the if video? you had said that, he said that, I would think that he's talking about fighting. Like, yo, what the no, fuck are you doing? He was wow. showing his asshole, his, a picture of his asshole leak. Why he showing? Why he want to look at that? Fizz? Yeah, well, because he likes men as well, I guess. So he so smashed him, he gets smashed. Is he sucking or he's getting sucked? I guess if you would have broke him in half, you got to be the top, right? Well, Look where we are in flipping cultural conversations as a community, quote unquote, as black people, right? Where if you're if you're the one receiving, no, if you're the one, yeah, if you're the one receiving, I don't know, oral or whatever, if you're the one giving other types of sexual acts, then it's okay. Then suddenly they don't want to, you know, refer to you as a as a race as a slur, use the f word on you. But the moment you're the person who's maybe the quote unquote bottom. They completely emasculate you. They, uh, you know, they paint you out to be effeminate and stuff. It's so bizarre, isn't it? I've, I always find that stuff really bizarre. If anything, really being hyper-focused and concerned about what people get up in the bedroom, especially people who live a lifestyle that you don't live, is, I think, the most sussy and suspect thing ever. That really says more about you than them. If you're really, like, in tune or everything, you know the terms, you know what happens and stuff, that says more about you, that you're kind of wondering what he does there, what he does there. Why are you wondering? If that's not your life, why do you care? <laughs> but this is where we are in culture. This is where we are. Crazy. I think things can be interchangeable. That's true as well. Get out of so here. That's your first thought. I just would think, like, Here's that's a thing. That, that is a talent of his where he's able to tell you, like, some real bold-faced truth. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I didn't I didn't punch her in the stomach. I grazed the side of her ribs. And, and nah. then everyone's like, oh, he's just joking. I don't know what nah. type of Jedi mind trick he got going on in the world, but um, it works for his benefit. But, yeah, there we go, man. Joe Budden got himself involved in women's business and it backfired in the biggest way possible. And to be honest, he has no one to blame but himself. No one to blame but himself. And I just thought it was absolutely funny, the whole backlash behind it. I thought Michael B. Jordan, to end in conclusion, Michael B. Jordan dealt with that, I think, supremely well. It wasn't a big deal. It was what it was. She basically brought the subject up. I don't think if she brought it up that they went to the same school, um, that she that he would have said what he said. She brought it up, and then he reminded her, "Yeah, I know who you are, and I heard what you said on, the, on your little podcast, and now here you are interviewing me on my red carpet at my movie." Essentially, look how the tables turn. Look at life. Look at God. Right? Like relax. Like treat people nicely all the way through life. Doesn't matter if they're gonna be someone. Just treat people nicely in general. 
cool, calm. She gets a message, she gets, she gets viral, she gets a little five minutes of fame. Then for every reason, all these other people come up and start talking about these hit pieces, oh, he's not corny, uh, Joe, and then Joe Biden, essentially, who already hates Michael B. Jordan, uses this opportunity to kind of try and beat him over the head, and then, as karma would have it, as life would have it, another woman comes out and says, no, actually, you know what? You're bisexual. <laughs> it's like, whoa! And the blue, <laughs> everything gets blown up. But again, like I said, man, just everyone should mind their business, leave people alone, treat people with respect, be nice to everybody, and we can all live a somewhat quasi nice, normal life. You would hope, innit? You would hope. So, uh, moving on from that one, because I want to quickly change tax and get things going on to a different place. Let's quickly move on as I kind of wait here. Bear me one second as I kind of get this other flipping things loaded. There we go. It's loading. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, doing this live is actually quite fun. I think I might have to extend this to go forward, actually. I quite like this. So, continuing on. Let's go. Back to club news. Because the one thing that I know and that I'm passionate about and I've got some information on is nightclubs. So, this is courtesy of RA. It says, the team behind Berners Renate opens up a new club called M01. The 400 capacity space will launch this month. Uh-oh, I got a new club to go to when I go to Berlin again. Yay! So, <laughs> this is courtesy of RA. It looks absolutely fantastic. And we're going to quickly read over this article to get an idea of it. Look at that. Nice, dark, industrial-looking club. Um, bare concrete walls. I think they look painted with a few bits of lights here and there spread all over the place. But if anything, one of the things you have to realise if you haven't been to Berlin or you don't care about this stuff, the most the best thing about the clubs over there isn't really the interior design, which sometimes it's really nice, don't get me wrong, but the best thing about clubs over there is the sound. The sound is impeccable. They really invest heavily in the sound systems and to make sure they're perfect, to make sure they're great, and usually that's, different, that's a difference maker for the most part in separating the clubs from other places around the world. And obviously, Berlin's a bit of an anomaly because you know they, they give clubs grants to allow them to put you know, soundproofing in they don't usually buck to the pressures of local neighbours and gentrification and stuff. There's a balance. There's a good balance there. But in general, I love the onus on sound, on programming and whatnot and doing things the right way. So this is great. So it says, MO01 sits on the north side of Renault's building. The entrance is on the, how, how do you say that? Mark Graffendam, number one. The 400 capacity space is split across two floors and three rooms which is amazing. It kind of reminds me of um, People's Place. Uh, what's that? No, Plastic People here in London. Um, and also, I'm a big fan of spaces that are like 500 cap. I think that would always be my dream. If I opened my own club, my dream would to be have a club that's around 150 to 500. I think that's a perfect space to be able to book somebody up and coming and also have the odd big high profile person come in. Like, you know, I remember seeing, you know, for instance, I remember seeing uh, Richie Horton play a fold one time and it was fucking phenomenal. And he really enjoyed it too because he usually plays in fucking stadiums and shit so to be able to play in a small space like that is quite cool gives an intimate feeling and also there's enough space for like a small up and coming person to get a feel of what they're about and whatnot and to kind of cultivate a crowd anyway it says the 150 the 150 capacity dance floor downstairs plus a chill out area and space for live music and exhibitions and installations upstairs the club room features a lab lambda lab sound system while there are plenty of big clubs in Berlin, the city needs small venues for the community of DIY promoters and collectives here, said MA1's booking director, Alessandro Boni. Hey, Alessandro 
Book me at your bloody club, mate, please. All right, I'm going to send you loads of emails. I'm going to send you loads of SoundCloud links. Book me at your club. <laughs> we want to allow small, independent funded promoters to create their own parties without the financial risk of working in larger spaces. So M01 provides both the intimate setting and financial viability. Sorry, viable opportunity to support the idea. That's pretty cool because that, that might work as a flipping, um, that might work, that might work as a funnel. Because they own, so they own Salon Zur, Wilden, Renate, and Else. Else is usually like an outdoor bar that only opens in the summer. But Renate is a really well-known and, you know, established club in Berlin. So this new club, MA01, could be like the, the training ground to kind of cultivate small promoters, up-and-coming DJs. And then when they get to a certain level, they could then get, you know, funneled over across to Else or Renate. Or even if they've got spaces, you know, they need to fill up. They've got a whole roller list of artists who are willing and ready to play from M01. So it kind of works out really well there. I love it. I love it. I love it. Up and coming events for MA01 are still TVA. The club says people can expect a broad range of sounds, including house, techno and electro. Launched in 2007, Renate sits as a former apartment block of Friedrichstein. Else is the team's open air summer venue is right across the street. There's the pics of the event. So yeah, the pics look great. As you can see here, dimly lit place. Loads of, loads of exposed brickwork. I love this little LED scheme. I saw this when I went to Oxy. There were these nice LED bars. Um, and the bars don't just light up. They had like a, it's like an LED bar, of course. So they, you can have like a gradient running across it. So when I was in that bar called, when I was in that club Oxy, the bars were kind of like zooming across and the light beams were, sh were kind of like going down like fucking daggers. It was quite cool to kind of see, especially if allegedly you were tripping out. It was quite nice to see that kind of running through your head. And they've got these really nice spotlights as well. And it's that like grid pattern, which is in front of the DJ booth, which looks incredible. I love that. So yeah, it looks really, really lovely. Um, so far, no dates or idea on what the events are going to be. Let's quickly check the RA events listing to see if they've got any up-and-coming events. Yeah, they do. The first part is on the 31st of March. It's called Limelight Volume 1, featuring Ed Davenport, uh, Jonathan Cavender, Matt Fink, and somebody else here. And uh, who else? Yeah, Jonathan Cadaver, Janham, Batabaki Hayden. I don't know, none of these people, actually. These all might be local people that I'm not really too familiar with, but there it is, up-and-coming night for MA, so, so for M01. If you're interested and you're in the area, check them out it looks like a cool interesting night of course we love to see it we love to see it um continuing on from that one we've got this news courtesy of ra regarding a club in new york that's going to be starting adopting a membership program which i think is kind of cool for a club um it says here elsewhere becomes late the latest new york club to adopt a membership program now would you sign up to be a member of a club would you do that i, I had I had like a membership briefly and I kind of, you know, renew it whenever I, I can be bothered with Fabric. Fabric have a Fabric First program, which is not really a membership, but it's basically a program, an initiative, a program initiative, whatever it calls, scheme, where you can basically uh, pay a certain amount a month. I think it's like £10 or something that kind of allows you to book or to buy heavily discounted tickets for their club nights so if their club nights are usually 20 pounds 20 dollars if you've got a fabric first card that you pay 10 pound a month for you can pay for the same ticket that people pay 20 dollars for five dollars ten dollars it's really cool so it means you can maybe buy tickets for friends you can maybe just you know on the whim just buy a random ticket for a random night and just kind of save a lot of money on tickets so you can spend more on your drugs and alcohol so this is brooklyn venue doing the same thing so it says here New York Club Elsewhere has rolled out a membership model that it hopes will bring in a steady business and enable more creative programming. 
Customers can choose from three levels of benefits from $2 a month. Uh, perks include skipping queues, free cloakrooms and discounts. Yeah, of course, that's why I mentioned to mention. So Fabric had the same thing. With Fabric's Fabric First ticket or the card that you get, I actually might have it somewhere in my wallet. I don't know, it's over there. But yeah, with a Fabric First wallet, uh, with a Fabric First card, sorry, you get the benefit to buy discounted tickets and there's also a separate queue. I think you go in like a VIP queue, which is annoying because it's still a VIP queue. So you have to queue up with all the VIPs. So you're still in the queue. It would be nice if it's just like a, a legit, you show your card and you just get in kind of thing. Um, anyway, the next tier up is £6 a month, which adds on to a half price tickets for the members as guests. And £30 a month includes um, receive free entry to all shows and parties plus merch and more, which is great. Um, if anything, it's quite funny, isn't it? We're going to move into a world where everything is subscription. You're going to be paying for your subscription TV, um, subscription social media, because obviously Twitter's got their Twitter blue service. Instagram's going to launch something or Facebook's doing something that they're going to roll out to Instagram to get verified so that you can have extra features and shit. That's going to be there. And then nightclubs are going to have membership. What next? Cocktail bars and stuff. Membership. They will never do that, would they? A cocktail bar or, or, or an establishment because they want, they want you to pay by the fucking glass. They don't want you to pay £30 and have five drinks and just have those five drinks and then leave. Do you know what I mean? That's not going to happen. So anyway, it continues. Um, in the press release elsewhere said, the aim isn't to create a VIP status customer but rather to make gigs cheaper for everyone. The launch is also meant to offset the increasingly volatile nature of the events business, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic resulting in higher operating costs and last-minute ticket sales. If I'm not mistaken... <clears throat> That was the original utopian idea around Studio 54. If you watch the documentary, they had like membership cards and stuff they'd give to people. I remember other clubs in London have the same sort of thing where they give you like a black card. I know like Nando's had famously has a black card that you can use that gives you like a certain percentage off of food and shit. But those clubs essentially wanted to cultivate a community. So they would give people cards that would allow them to skip the queue and whatnot. But then I think Studio 54 actually, funnily enough, is known for that era of like Diana Ross on a horse riding through the flipping club or Michael Jackson being there and whatnot. And, you know, Andy Warhol and stuff. But actually when it kind of turned into a celebrity hangout that's when essentially it died because over time what happened is that it started becoming it was, it was like a it was like a haven safe haven for the kind of lgbtq queer scene and obviously it also become like a really cool and interesting club and a little community developed in it and then all the celebrities went to go there because it was the one place you could go where people kind of leave you alone and just you just party and do your thing but then over time the celebrities kind of overshadowed the thing and became the number one people and that's where the whole velvet rope thing happened and they would then stop normal punters coming in in favour of letting celebrities go in but celebrities were coming in by you know so many of them that they're already filling up the club which would leave all the regular punters outside so the regular customers would get pissed off and start to riot and that's what led to all the bad press bad attention bad eyes police all that sort of stuff and eventually causing accidents and whatnot and fights and that's what led to this fucking downfall of um 254 and whatnot and of course the under undercover operation thing that happened that you know kind of exposed them for drug dealing and whatnot but essentially that's what kind of fucked them so if you in general if, with clubs it's probably important which i've kind of seen for myself being a customer of these places to look after your actual paying customers not your vips like people that actually come there on a week-in week-in basis and pay their money queue up buy you know put their coat in the cloakroom buy drinks buy loads of drinks are always there until the end those ones you should be looking after not the vips who just sit in a green room and fucking do drugs but you know 
things kind of change but this is a good model i'm not really mad at this to be fair um by looking at the support of the members we can count sorry by locking in the support of the members we can count the membership dues regardless of what's happening from night to night which helps us make more creative decisions and more risk presents more emerging music which i really agree with also you can take way more risk that way because then you're not relying on the promoter model and tickets and shit other clubs in new york including nowadays mood rings and good room also have membership programs many of which launched during the pandemic rosenthal so Rosenthal noted how memberships and social clubs have long been a key part of New York life, referring to examples of Paradise Garage. Exactly, yeah, all those are in there. So I like the model. I think it's going to work. It's a really cool idea. And um, it's something that I would definitely do if I was over there in New York and I was at this club called Elsewhere. I would be doing that. I would be doing that also. I swear on my life. So let's move on. Let's talk about this one. Another new club opening. Another new club opening. This is now in Liverpool, obviously here in the UK. It says new club spray shop to open in a former car garage. A, a, a nightclub called Spray Shop? Huh? Anyway, it says here, um, launching on Thursday, February 21st, already launched. Spray Shop is a 350 capacity space with a custom-made TPI sound system that takes over what was once a car garage. I love it. Again, I love this capacity of clubs, man, for me. I think that's a perfect mark. 150 to 500, perfect sweet spot. Um, headlining the launch party will be Richie Ahmed and the likes of Archie Hamilton, Jesse Coloso, and Joey Daniel. Confirmed to play in the coming weeks. It's funny they're highlighting this because these are more like tech housey um djs and they you or you describe them as maybe more bro dance music and ra is very much trying to like steer away from those two people even though these people make them probably the most money you know the most commercial i, I think you know i'd imagine you know, putting an event with Amelia lens is going to make you way more money than putting on an event with mama snake even though mama snake is way better do you know what i mean so it's a funny world that they kind of have to occupy and the balance have to make but regardless i like it um i'm hoping to create something completely different to what's available in liverpool at the moment says the founder kyle muldoon i'm um, told resident advisor there are a number of factors with this but it's mainly down to the crowd and the type of music we can offer on one of the best sound systems on the market that will create the buzz and the vibe of the club i love that i love that he's pushing that first and not talking about programming and booking people honestly have a club in the uk that's got good sound that's open until quite late right past maybe 3 a.m please as possible and you're set then i'm going to trust your booking that's what happened with Fold. Fold is the same thing. Fold, of course, had that whole, like, you know, initial kind of thing of, like, 24 hours, blah, blah, blah. But after that died and that didn't happen because, you know, local council shit, we just started going there all the time because we knew we could trust the sound, number one, and it's open late. So regardless of what's on, really, unless it's maybe a tech house rave or something that you're not really fans of or dubstep or something or jungle, most of the time you can really trust that their program is going to be decent and you can trust the sound's going to be amazing and that's basically half the struggle um for Modun, the opening may be bittersweet following the death of a business partner last year he said after kevin died i was left with the idea of developing the club into what it was today i'm sure he would be amazed at what we've done with the place and it's sad that he's not here to see it yeah that's really sad man so r.i.p kevin whoever that is who is a partner of the club that's really sad to hear but i do like the inside of it look at this stack of speakers look at how beautiful that looks is that the booth behind them that's amazing right look how high up the booth is and a stack of speakers you can't even see the dj's head there isn't it if you're super small 
Whoa, I love this. Again, red light again. I like the um that's like a what's that thing? That's like an acid house label logo as well with the smiley face. Um obviously with up north being like the home place, all that stuff is quite a nice little tie-in with the red dimly lit lights. Um what's it says? The the naughty corner. This is funny. This is funny, it's called the naughty corner, and this is the, it's in a club because in UK we've got we've got this thing in the UK where people don't really behave in nightclubs. And when I mean behave, I mean they don't really like they're not really grown ups when it comes to drugs and stuff. So for the most part, when you go to places in Europe, especially places like Berlin or Amsterdam and shit, or other places in yeah, you know, other I guess other big cities that play flipping dance music, most of the times all that stuff is regulated to the toilets. You have to kind of stick to doing it in the toilets. But for every reason in the UK, people don't care. People in pubs will be like doing quick bumps on the tables, on the dance floor. They'll be hiding behind somebody doing quick lines and shit. People don't care. Or like breaking up pills on the dance floor and swallowing them. Like there's a real kind of like, oh, I can't bother to go to the toilet. I'm just going to do it here on the dance floor. So having a room, having a space and having a corner that says the naughty corner is hilarious because quite literally there will be people and i guarantee it there will be people taking pictures and videos of themselves doing bumps in front of this light in front of this leon lighting i guarantee you it will happen i guarantee you um again no smoke inside here on the inside looks really cool let's see what events they have coming up for the spray shop place it looks really nice definitely something that i would probably end up checking out here let's see and it's definitely an excuse to go to liverpool as well because i've not been have I ever been? No, I have been. Yeah, I went a couple of years ago. I won't say I've never been. Um, but yeah, it'll be a good chance to kind of go because, you know, I love to use um, clubs as an excuse to kind of discover new interesting places. Okay, no listings on here, unfortunately, which is weird. Let's check out the Instagram. Then maybe they've got something on Instagram we can kind of check out. It's odd they don't have any listings on RA to see what events they have coming up. But maybe they have more later on. Okay, see already. So they were open already here. Looks like we've got some pictures and stuff already of what went down. This is the Instagram account, the spray shop underscore. You can find the Instagram if you care. Just click the first picture and see what this is about with the logo and whatnot. It says, tonight we brought Boogeyman to Liverpool. Thank you, everyone who came down. So yeah, it's going to turn into a good place. It's already cool. They've got a cool little logo there. People are going to want to take pictures outside of it, outside of the queue on the way home. They've really created a little bit of content around the whole place, which is pretty cool. You'd love to see it. Very professional, very on point. They've got already another light here. That I think no, that's not past. That's coming up in April. Archie Hamilton, Diminish, Ben Jones, and Asojo. It's again more tech housey type of vibe. Not really my kind of thing, but I still like it. They've got another party here called uh, Kaluki Liverpool happening very soon at the Spray Shop in April. They've got whole team picture here. The Last of Us, the crew that showed up last night, and the reason the club I built. Awesome, nice to see everybody there hanging out. Everyone wearing black hoodies and whatnot. This is usually the crowd that you see at these kind of events anyway. They're, you know, they're usually always good banter and vibes, but for every reason, I don't know why it is in the in dance music, there's such a divide within the people that, you know, they would deem to be like Bergheim or dark techno people and people like this for a reason, but we're all kind of the same really, to be honest. And if anything, these lot are probably way nicer. You'll probably have a way more fun a time going to a club like this than you would do going to a Bergheim, I guarantee you, especially if you're not from a certain community. Um, it's a clip of Diminished playing here at a club. Yeah, it's not for me, man. It's a little bit too Caucasian tech house for me, man. It's a little bit too, oi, oi, you know, um, oli, oli, oli for me personally. But I still appreciate some of the DJs that play this sort of stuff and obviously the events they put on and whatnot. But it's a little bit too oli, 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 oi, oi, oi for me personally. But regardless, it's there. It's alive. Let's check out the story to see what it's looking like on the inside. We've got some clips already here. 
of people on the inside having a good time at this place called The Spray Shop. Let's put some sound on here. Yeah, it looks good, innit? It looks quite cool. I like the red lights on it. I like how it's laid out. It's a small room. The sound looks banging. Oh, look at that DJ booth. Shows the Nice. Okay, and I wonder, maybe, I don't know, acoustic-wise, but I wonder, with it being a former car garage, maybe sound insulation-wise is pretty decent. Is that a thing? I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I've never worked in a garage or anything. I, mean, I, I know I look like a handyman. No, but um, I wonder if that's a thing. But anyway, regardless of them, big up um, the spray shop. Hopefully, that goes on to doing bigger and brighter things in the future. Great to see um, new spaces opening up in clubs and stuff in the UK because we need more of them. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about this. We have to review this because I spoke about it in the stream, but I need to kind of put this on wax and put this on record. So, Demna was back on the runway. Paris Fashion Week, Demna made his triumphant return after being accused of essentially running an underground, kiddie-diddling um, organization under the guise of Balenciaga. Um, you know, um, really sketchy stuff involving kids and BDSM, BDM, BDSM bears that they were saying were punk bears, but the internet told them they were BDSM and you're sexualizing children, weird court documents and photo shoots and campaigns with weird court stuff and whatever, just really sketchy, sketchy stuff. And it got to a point where people suddenly had enough of Demna being the provocateur, Demna being the antagonist, Demna being just a bad boy right making these big hoodies and charging people thousands of pounds for t-shirts and trainers and dirty socks and hoodies and ripped up jeans people just had enough and when they saw the kids start they're like ha we can take this guy down because he's not respecting the house that Cristobal Balenciaga built right so they kind of try to kick him out but like every good person out there that makes amazing things and is talented and makes people money counterculture doesn't apply unfortunately it does not apply we've seen it with the Kanye West rumors with Adidas if you are talented and you make people money eventually people will come back eventually people will come back all the time it happens and again we don't show what the rumors are with Kanye maybe they're just rumors but there is a lot of talk out there about Adidas coming back to the table to work out some deal with Kanye to sell whatever stock they had left even though Kanye even though sorry Adidas were really talking a big game about owning the IP and doing what they want with it now they're coming back again the same thing with fashion everybody in fashion had a moral stance a principled stance about the whole Blanchard kids thing everyone was pressuring Kim Kardashian to denounce them and whatnot people were going on news places and interviews and denouncing and deleting Blanchard people were burning their Blanchard some of it fake but they were burning it regardless making a real stand but once the show was announced again i'm sure the pr person involved in balenciaga's inbox was flooded with invitation requests flooded they probably had to turn people away even though a few months ago just a few weeks ago he was being labeled as some sort of pedo demna and now suddenly he's back the prodigal son so he did say quite clearly when he was presenting or when before the show was going to happen courtesy of this account that i've got here on my screen i'm going to load up bear me one second he did say that he was going out of his way to make sure actually i posted before it doesn't matter but um he did say before that he was going to go out of his way to ensure that this show was all about the clothes 
nothing else. I think he said in the interview I, I posted before, there was an interview I think I had on here, courtesy of Vogue, this one which I read, then on the record it says, you know, he basically outlined his plan that he's got, he's done, he's done with the whole like theatrics and stuff. He's going to focus on the clothes themselves. Nothing else matters but the clothes. And I think in one of the statements that he put out actually, that I think I might have shared on Twitter, he put out an actual statement that says something along the lines of like, oh, um, there's too much like, uh, what do you say? There's too much entertainment or something in in flipping clothes. Too much other stuff. I want to focus on just the clothes itself. So this was meant to be like a big triumphant return. Now, having watched the show live at the time, I have to say, just looking at the clothes, it was a little bit underwhelming, just in terms of what he said before the clo before it started. But if you really focus in on what he said and what he was trying to get back to in terms of the core of Balenciaga and of core of what he's about in terms of making good clothes, it kind of does make sense. But starting the show off with, what's that, three, six, seven, yeah, yeah six black looks that look basically identical to the naked eye doesn't really give you much hope that he was going to go back to the clothes and remind people of what kind of, you know, fashion designer he was with a capital F. But if you look really closely, there's devils in the detail. There's those are really cool upside down little, you know, things going on with the garments on the bottom of the hem or some of the jackets. It looks like the top of the pants. That's really interesting on some of the pants. There's like an extra bit of pants stuck on the top that gives it this nice little texture and flow as you're walking and running and stuff. And then of course, the piece de resistance I'm going to load up on here are some of the boots. There are some boots in here that I think are going to be ridiculously po popular, as are the glasses. I think those are something to kind of, I think are the main things that really kind of stood out for the Blenciaga Full 2023 show were the boots and the glasses that I'm going to try and get up here for you now. As you can see here, there's some glasses there. Those ones over there. I actually need to get it up. Let me, let me actually load it on another screen. Let me another tab. So let's put it over here. Does that work? Or not Yeah. So, um, let's see if we can load this up. Bear with me one second. Let me just do it this way. So, we've got this loaded. So, yeah, let's, go, let's just click this. Let's click this. So, on this one, as you can see here, I think these are going to be some of the more popular pieces that are definitely going to catch people's attention going forward with Balenciaga. But I think there are a lot of people online who've kind of seen this and said, you know what, this is kind of underwhelming. I kind of expected a little bit more from them, especially considering the big game and the big press release and statement that them to put out there to suddenly go out there and now present like, you know, a couple of black looks and stuff. It just looks a little bit dead. But I still think, you know, from the success of previous years of their glasses, you know, I've got a pair of flipping fake AliExpress version ones here. You know, they did really, really well, the glasses. These ones, they did amazing. That this whole this whole season and the season before, these are the fake from AliExpress. They're like five dollars, and they you know they're like fucking actual plastic. But um, the actual legit ones did really really well, and it's obviously them kind of building on top of that and deciding to put out another set of really cool glasses that look like they're a little bit rimless or something, and they kind of have a little bit more of like a V shape, so that more of a height sh a heart shape, so a little bit more aggressive on the top here, and they kind of give you a really good frown. And if you've got your buccal fat removed, they really accentuate the cheeks do you know what I mean or if you cut your, your freaking beard up here like hard rock neck it would definitely make you look chiseled so it might actually be the first pair of glasses that you will get that will actually make you have a jawline or cheekbones if you don't have them like actual you know what I mean they're kind of yoop, in your face as you put them on so that might be absolutely good so again some nice coats some nice jackson jeans again very paired back very sleek very simple very to the point 
I really like these bags also. At first, I thought the chain link was bees. I thought that would have been quite cool, but it didn't. It's just like hoops. But I thought at first they were bees, but I do like the shape of it. I mentioned in the live stream, it kind of looks like more like a messenger bag, messenger bag, but it kind of flaps over. And I think that's going to be really, really popular with a lot of people. So for, for sure, the glasses and the bags. This leather jacket is really cool. Again, if you look at the details, so on the sleeves, as you can see here, the, the the end of the sleeves you have what looks like the top um the top bit where you kind of bottom fly of your leather pants and stuff that's what they got on there so they got this really interesting kind of blend it kind of morphs into one so you don't know if they are literally legs of pants that have been stitched upside down to make sleeves or if they've kind of basically made the end of the sleeves look like the top of pants but i do like that kind of upside down flip and if you look closely at the bottom of the jacket you've also got the belt loops that you'd find at the top of the pants and then it's sort of reflected again on the neck sorry on the collar of the jacket also and again you've got the same sort of glass like i said before obviously this kid is really skinny and he's got great cheekbones but still these glasses definitely accentuate his face and kind of give you that really big structured look and of course the pants on top really work well and the same thing goes for the bags but there's a lot of people online saying that hey this is rather disappointing them that spoke a really big game and now this is what he gave us what i mean but you have to look at it a bit deeper and say i didn't see many t-shirts I didn't see many hoodies and I didn't even see I don't think I saw any trainers. I don't think so. Maybe I have to look a bit closer because there's like two pants covering the, the, the feet. But all the things that people kind of mock Demna for, basically over you know, charging people five hundred dollars for a t shirt and nearly a thousand for a hoodie and stuff, and basically saying hoodies and t shirts are like the height of luxury and whatnot, which I agree with, right? Being able to take these like staple streetwear items and kind of lux them out and make them in great shapes and great fabrics and because I own a couple of Blenchaga hoodies and Vetemar hoodies from Demna's era and those things are bulletproof like i've worn them to raves i've worn them out and about they've been covered in burger sauce and drinks and whatnot i've washed them a million times because i don't bother even drag him i wash them in like with regular clothes and they still hold so they are actually pretty good quality clothing but you know it's hard to justify spending 900 dollars on a hoodie really that looks on the face a bit like any other hoodie but still um i think the glasses are going to be very popular people are going to be really impressed with those when they eventually come out but like a lot of people online are saying they're not really impressed by it but i really did like a lot of the collection i think like i said the sunglasses the bags were really cool but the other thing that was really nice and again this jacket also look at that I love whatever they do here with this. It's kind of like taking kind of from them this time at Margella. And obviously, of course, Margella kind of pioneered this thing where this ability to sort of like push the back or whatever it may be up on the top. I'm pretty sure that's where it's cut. So instead of it, instead of you thinking it's actually full, usually the way they cut it, it wouldn't be full of something on the shoulders to make it have this really exaggerated look. It's usually cut in a certain way that makes it just pop up like that. So that's something, again, that's like really high level tailoring and pattern cutting. Um, and that's the ability to make sure to make stuff look baggy and look tight and look long and look constrained but look relaxed at the same time it's amazing these are the other glasses that i thought would are going to be very very popular these ones in particular um if you see them they're essentially uh they don't look like they've got any sort of discerning rim on them and they kind of if anything look a little bit similar to kanye's shades that he did with gap that never end up coming out the ones that were basically just one wrap around the kind of like a mirrored sort of thing with a rope and that's what you got here with these glasses so they kind of just look like you know that sort of vibe on them and they look really really nice and they're kind of done in this little silver uh, gray steel type of look which looks really really cool i think a lot of people especially guys within my scene in terms of dance music are going to be all over them and there's an, another pair of combats here that balenciaga again 
don't get enough credit for making really good combat. I know this, you can't see it here because it's basically black and my screen isn't the best, but these combat pants are going to be great. They fit amazing. Um, you've got these amazing big pockets in the front. It looks like you might have a reinforced knee here, but they just usually fit amazing and work really well with the shoes that they make. And if we continue on, the other thing that I thought would be really popular are these motorcycle boots that look like they are standard motorcycle boots that you would get, right? Like knee-high ones. But look like they've been made with rubber. So they're kind of kind of adopting and carrying on that kind of uh, rubberized design language that he's been pushing so far. These things. I think these are going to be really popular with people. So essentially, they kind of remind me of a boot that Demna did with Blenshaka maybe in 2017. 2017? I think so, 2017. Um, where essentially it was the same sort of thing, uh, basically. But that was more of a real life kind of motocross boot but then this is sort of like done in the same way and i think it's been made of rubber that's my initial re response when i saw them i thought they were made of rubber and again the sunglasses here are going to be super popular here this is from what look number 30 these sunglasses will be really popular again it's the same sort of one i said before in silver but these are now in black um, and it look like they've been molded in one piece as well, which looks really incredible. And again, they got these motorcycle boots. Instead of black, you got them in a different color. Um, the only thing I don't like about them personally, because I'm just, it's a bit, I'm a bit finicky with this sort of stuff. I hate pointed stuff. There was a time in my life where I used to wear swears and shit. That was the last time I wore like pointed shoes. I like my stuff to be a bit more rounded or squared off and whatnot. Maybe because as well, my feet are fat, so they don't really usually fit in these type of things. But regardless, these look really, really cool. The boots of how they looked up and stuff and um, the different sort of paneling these are kind of in a white and black colorway but i think these are gonna be really popular and for sure we're definitely gonna see kanye in these right maybe the hoodie isn't for everybody's taste this kind of shrunken elongated hoodie with these pads on the shoulders looks really cool but i think if i'm not mistaken this look like this might be inflated I've got a feeling this is kind of like an inflatable inflatable hoodie. It looks like it anyway. It feels like it's got some sort of air in it. Maybe it hasn't. And then again, in the glasses, you've got this nice mirrored gold look going on here with these wraparound glasses that look like they've been molded in one piece. But like I said before, the response online hasn't been the greatest to these. People haven't been liking them. You've got the same hoodie, same glasses again in blue. They look really incredible. And again, the boots and stuff. But people haven't been liking the collection and saying it's a bit shit. Personally, I love it. And I think it kind of ticks all the boxes that Demna wanted to do in terms of returning the focus back onto the clothes. And you have to look at collections. I look at the collections not as a singular, as like a continuing story. This is the first collection back after the after the pedo allegations and whatnot so you want to kind of ease people back into kind of understanding your vision again or accepting or being comfortable with you presenting clothes and the best is to do it get rid of the theatrics get rid of the craziness especially this this paris fashion week there were so many fucking silly theatrics that took away from the clothes and just kind of focus on the fucking social media side of it but this is just about the clothes it's kind of bare around environment you know minimal in terms of soundtrack no crazy dance music playing in the background and just a focus on the garments themselves and obviously the attention to detail and what's been done in terms of the cut and whatnot. And then you're hoping going forward that you're able to kind of then grow and build from that. So I'm pretty sure the collection after this will be a little bit more showy, a little bit more out there because I was missing the addition of amount of a kind of rain jacket, right? That there was no rain jacket. It wasn't that kind of stuff there, which I was always kind of a big fan of what Demna does with these sort of um, mountaineering 90s rain jacket type of things. But that wasn't there. Again, another addition there with the boots, as you can see. And then we'll definitely check out a highlight this is one of the highlights i think that kanye mentioned on his instagram kanye made a post on instagram recently highlighting this particular look and i guess maybe he thinks this look has been molded after him but you know i would actually like one day to be able to wear um what you call it um what do you call these things again uh where they're matching the, the top and the bottom uh 
a fucking catsuit or whatever. But unfortunately, I've got way too much ass at the back and way too much junk in the front to make that work. It, you know, if you, these are the type of things that you only have to wear if you're a girl or you've got a really slim body. I think if you're a dude and you pack any kind of meat, regardless of it's fat or muscle, you're going to look absolutely wild in these kind of uh, onesies and shit when you go outside. But Kanye likes to look. Maybe he thinks Demna kind of, this is sort of like Demna's um, ode or tribute to him. I'm not too sure. Maybe this is what they're giggling about in the, in the flipping group chat. But Kanye's um, text back onto social media was to kind of showcase this look. And maybe it's because the glasses look similar to the ones he make at Gap. But again, the boots, I think you're going to see Kanye in these ASAP. ASAP, ASAP, ASAP. You're going to see him wearing those boots. Um, but then I quickly went to also mention the response from other fans online, actually, because some of the fans here, courtesy of this Instagram account, it's like a Balenciaga kind of fan account here, which is the Knife Boot Nerd. And on his post, some people have been voicing their frustration. And they said the following. Um, what someone here says, fashion system is changing and probably the whole gimmick played by Balenciaga in recent years had reached a point of no return. In some ways, the only way for the brand to move forward was to go backwards. Another person says, I wish them that took the backlash and just trolled them even harder. What? So what did they want? You wanted more kids on the runway. You wanted to do a whole show with just children. Like like children that are going to have some beauty pageant. That's not a good idea, brother. Blenstrucker is a multinational corporation. Do you know what I mean? They can't afford to have people going to their store and spray painting it, um, picketing outside of it. Do you know what I mean? Or burning their stuff. Like, it's not good. And also, imagine, like, um, a lot of the quote-unquote black and brown community are quite sensitive to kids' stuff. And they're the ones that buy most of this Balenciaga, except for Chinese people as well. So if you have the black and brown people getting turned off from your brand because they think, you know, you diddle kids and shit, you probably have to resuscitate it and, and revive it and put the faith back into it again and, you know, basically make them comfortable enough to know that, hey, we're not doing that again. We're going to go back to making some nice shoes so that they can keep buying your triple S's and your fucking um, sock shoes and shit. Anyway, the guy continues. I keep thinking about Viv or McQueen and how they reacted to backlash and criticism um, about the provocation clothes they made and the shows that they put on I definitely blame Caring Group and Blenchard and shareholders for twisting these arms to create his tone what what he's the one that put those teddy bears again I watched the show that show was great it's a mud show it's the one that Kanye was the opening look at that's where the BDSM teddy bears debuted those BDSM teddy bears were given to models to hold in their hands as kind of quasi bags. I think they actually might even be bags. It might actually got a zip in it where you can stuff things in, you know, stuffing things in a teddy bear, whole other thing, but regardless, no one cared. But everything is about context. Everything's about nuance. The moment you put that bear in the hand of a children, in the hand of a child, it immediately changes the flipping um, conversation around. It makes complete sense. It's like a harness, same sort of thing. You put a harness on some gay guy in Bergheim, no one bats the eyelid. You put a harness on a four-year-old child, all of a sudden, you might have to go to prison. Do you know what I mean? It makes complete sense. And Demna is the one that proved all of it. I love Demna, but he's culpable in the entire thing. He is the overseer of the entire operation. And again, the Demna thing is annoying too because on one side, he's the, he's the flipping design genius. He's the one that we have to give credit to reviving, to not, not reviving, but making Blenciaga what it was, doing flipping, you know, genre-defining, um, influential stuff at Vetterman during the time that he was there. But then when he does a kid that did and stuff, suddenly it's not him. It's a big team. I work with other people, production companies. It's like, no, 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 no. If you can take the glory, you have to take the hate. It just is what it is. Um, I blame the Karen for twisting his arm to create his toned-down show filled with old silhouettes and cuts and models but who knows maybe Demna himself didn't like the direction he was going in 
whatever nonsense another person here says um everyone needs to rewatch and look at the collection again so many great styles were worn were shown sorry no logos and more tailored looks that were art every brand's moving forward yeah true that's a good thing to mention as well there were no hoodies from my recollection no t-shirt no there were hoodies the zip-up hoodie sorry but no like hoodies with like the pullover with the logo no t-shirts and no trainers for the most part and no even baseball caps it was all just like stripped back and paired back um, it looked like a, a ready-to-wear version of Couture, if that makes any sense. Um, Demner just proves he understands uh, Christopher Balenciaga's uh, legacy, but his, no, his legacy, but his, his collections. He brings those Margellisms to life, which I personally look for. I wish there had been more variety of accessories for man, but his collection will sell based on being classic Demner styles from his time at Balenciaga. It wasn't a funeral to me. It was, oh, because people are calling it a funeral. Wow. It wasn't a funeral to me. It was what Demon has said is focused on clothing and tailoring. Looks 24, 26, and 28 are so chic. Crazy futuristic for the men's fashion. Look 44 was my favorite. And the dresses at the end will definitely make the red carpet. I hope Demna, mm, I'm not too sure. If you're if you're a celebrity, you'll have to have some balls to wear um, Demna on the runway, on the red carpet, essentially. You have to have some real balls because the questions that you're going to be getting on that red carpet, woo! Um, I hope Demna continues I, I wonder if Chris Lear is going to wear Balenciaga for his specials filming that would be funny I hope Demna did, um, continues to invite celebrities they are not essential to the brand oh can, not to invite celebrities okay cool so it was basically more industry people there Demna is also very smart this is a great collection of details some of y'all need to look again or a person. I personally really enjoyed the show and the collections were very futuristic and minimalist. Um, I felt like an early Demna Balenciaga show to me, but better, less emphasis on logos and shock factor and more on silhouettes, proportions and shape. And last person here says, I feel like the people were expecting a dramatic comeback with a dramatic over-the-top show and that's not what was delivered. Overall, a good collection, but in all honesty, boring compared to previous shows. Perhaps that was on purpose, but pretty underwhelming. Of course it was on purpose. Don't you read his fucking interview? fucking hell people he says i'm gonna pair it back i'm gonna become more focused and focus on the clothes people online oh my god it's like come on man that's what he said he was going to do so let's actually check out some of the um what you call it? i want to see the actual uh i want to see some of the close-ups or some of the stuff that was shown in the show that's the note that he kind of left there telling people that he was going to be a focus on the show i think the, the, the bit that people are laughing at him about was one of the end bits i think here um he says here at the end this is why fashion can no longer be seen as entertainment, but rather as art of making clothes. So if you look at that stuff and you see all the black and you see all the same looks, it's quite funny that he would make that big grand, you know, proclamation and then deliver that. But, you know, I still liked it personally. Um, it continues. Yep, people are going to be liking these motorcycle boot things I mentioned before that look really cool. Again, another version of the boots. Um, hopefully we see some glasses here. People are making mockery of some of the previous collections saying it was cool. Do we see the glasses? I want to see a close-up of the glasses. No close-up of the glasses? Come on, show me the close-up. The bag looks really nice. It's a crinkled leather effect. Let's see. I think that may, I think maybe that other account had the had the, the close-up of the glasses because I want to see them because I think they look really cool. I think this account here, my face went oh. Let's see this account. I think this account had the close-up of the glasses. Bear me one second as it loads. There we go. My face went oh. Did they have a close-up of the glasses? Booty, 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 boop. Yes, they do. So these are the glasses. They look really nice. I think so anyway. It looks like they've been molded in one piece, which looks flipping incredible. Look at that. I don't know if they're metal 
or if they're made out of some sort of like resin or if they're made out of plastic that's coated but they look incredible i don't know how you see from behind them but they look really really cool so these are going to be all over the flipping you know techno dance floors wherever i go out for sure people are going to be all over these and they come in black as well the earrings are really nice you got these really nice ear cuffs here which i want to get i need to get a pair actually a pair of ear cuffs to come on the inside just won't work well with my flipping you know noise cancelling headphones but they look pretty nice you've got another one here um, that got rims on them. They look at it, look at it a little bit like carbon fiber or marble on the outside here with these mirrored mirrored lenses. They look really nice. And again, you got these got wraparound glasses, uh, and they kind of look like a facelift, don't they? They kind of give you instant cheekbones. So I think a lot of people are gonna definitely like these. And again, they come in black also and gold earrings and gold ear cuffs. So yeah, I'm 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 a fan. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. But I also understand if you're if you're expecting some razzle dazzle, that you might look at these and think, you know what, not the sharpest. And of course, these are the motorcycle boots that I think you're gonna definitely see Kanye wearing. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they aren't made of rubber. They look like they've got like a normal padded lining on the inside here. Um, so they might not be made of rubber, actually. Maybe they're actually just a regular uh, motorcycle boot, uh, but they've changed the look of them. But I don't like how they're pointed they are. I know they need to be pointed because I guess actual motorcycle boots are pointed because you're meant to be able to change gears on them, right? That's the whole idea. Um, so maybe they need to be a little bit pointed to kind of allow you to change gears. But I would like it to be a bit more rounded. But they do remind me of those motorcycle boots. I think it's from, I think it's 2017 balenciaga or something i think so i think so i think it's 2017 balenciaga that they had the pair of um, running boots whatever same collection that they had balenciaga where they debuted the triple s's i think was the one where they had um the one that debuted triple s's was the one where they debuted the motorcycle boots. i'm actually going to double check here and see if i can see it quickly on my phone but i'm pretty sure whichever the one where the triple s's were debuted is one where i remember that motorcycle boot was from let me quickly see if it loads up on my phone. I'm scanning now, scan below. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's fall 2017. One of my favorite collections ever, actually. They debuted these motorcycle boots. I'm not sure if you can see them from my phone because I don't want to get on the screen because my computer's crap. But they debuted these ones here. That one there. Can you see that? So you can see it a little bit, can't you? There. That motorcycle boot in 2017. That looks a little bit, a little bit similar to that thing there little bit similar not really the same thing but you know what i mean you know what i mean so yeah so big up them now full 2017 sorry full 2023 it is what it is people like it people don't what can you do it is what it is um next one list here what you have quick going to talk about here i mentioned buddy buddy bar let's move on from that one and let's talk about so many things to run through i think i probably gotta actually cut a few of these pieces out but Next thing to mention quickly are these. Courtesy of Over Under regarding the clot and fragment Nike Dunk Lows that are due to be coming out very soon. Personally for me, complete miss, even though I'm a big fan of Fragment and I love Hiroshi Fujiwara and I generally do love clot collaborations, big up Edison Chen and whatnot. These are a little bit underwhelming. I'm not going to lie. The same sort of fabric they used on their... Um, what, what's the fabric called? I think I've got the tab on here. Uh, the history of the... Yeah, the Silk Royal fabric that they used on their air force ones from previous years um, adapted onto a pair of dunks 
they essentially got the fabric taking up the majority of the upper on the dunk. The good thing about them maybe is this really nice icy translucent sole that reminds me of like old school Reebok classics from back in the day and whatnot. That's quite nice. The only problem with these icy soles, they look great when you first get them. But if you actually wear your shoes like I do every day and you pound them into the dirt and whatnot, they'll end up muddying up really quickly and look really gross kind of fast so that's the only problem i don't really like about them but apart from that you've got the whole upper in that silk royal fabric you've got this nice clear icy sole and then you've got this gray um up sorry this black upper on the eyelets and then again it's not a dunk as well it's not a dunk sb so you've got this nice flat tongue which i prefer really in the dunk i think the shape of the dunk suits the normal tongue as opposed to the sb tongue which is fat and the, because the silhouette is a little bit thin it kind of weird fucks up the proportions but i do prefer the regular tongue but i don't know they just don't look that special to me nothing not really that interesting um but they're gonna sell out so quickly and they're probably gonna go for a lot of money because they're two very hyped labels especially um within the asian community when it comes to hiroshi fujiwara fragment being japanese and obviously clot being the premier brand out there in china when it comes to streetwear and edison chen being an absolute star over there i'm sure these are gonna absolutely sell out and do absolute bits but for me they just look gash personally and i've always hated that fabric i'd never liked them um even though that you know there's a big history behind it as you can see here from the clock website they've got a history of the silk royale right it's got some longer sense of history tied to their tradition and culture and whatnot blah 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 right it definitely is something that you would kind of relate to but that fabric just i don't know man it's just gross to me personally for me um anywhere it's kind of adapted i don't like anything about it and i wouldn't ever wear anything with it on it as well but i know people are going to go absolutely crazy for them when they drop absolutely crazy but for me complete miss not really a fan in the slightest but they're going to do numbers when they do end of venture and and eventually eventually end up dropping another one i want to quickly mention here is an update on a shoe that i was absolutely ripping and i still rip to this day but oddly enough the friends and family model looks 10 times better than a regular model it's the tiffany and co nike air force one so this original this has officially been leaked because i think we see a clip of like carmelo anthony receiving a pair but there's a friends and family version of the tiffany um and co nike air force one obviously um so the paws and the regular people get the crappy all black one with the tiffany blue swoosh and the jewel at the and the little still sterling whatever jewel at the back and whatnot in person i think they look crap i don't think there's anything about tiffany's that would make you want to make an all black shoe i think if anything the black should have been divided up or broken up like they did on the tiffany dunks uh back in the day or the diamond dunks back in the day that you know a uh, diamond and co supply did um big up nick tershay of course those were amazing but the actual retail model of the tiffany's i think are terrible for me they're absolutely gash i hate them i think they're gonna be obviously hyped because they're limited in in kind of quantity and whatnot and they're gonna be retailing i think for like 400 dollars or something so they're gonna resell for crazy amounts but as a shoe i think they're fucking gash but i think the friends and family version are actually way better than the retail version and this i think is what should have come out it should have been the reverse this should have been a retail version and the black version as retail should have been a friends and family because this fits and looks way better if anything what i would have done similar to the clot nike dunks is that maybe i would have made the outsole a bit 
translucent and a little bit gummy. Maybe this would have been icy sole. And look at the up leather. The leather's tumbled, right? Is it tumbled or pebbled leather? This is going to be so buttery, smooth and soft. I would have made the outsole a little bit more translucent, see-through. Maybe this would have been like, again, the, the same Tiffany color, but just see-through. That would have been looking amazing. Or even made that midsole look that way. That would look great. Um, and then, of course, I would have chucked out these laces because I think these laces are horrible on Air Force Ones. They're already quite chunky shoes. So putting really chunky rope tubular cylindrical laces on them just look rubbish to me and they remind me of those horrible customs that you see online so i would get rid of these laces asap and just have some nice flat maybe even like maybe like even leather laces on them actually they would like or wax laces sorry would look really cool on them but anything else apart from that i think they look really really nice or maybe another addition just kind of maybe kind of give them a bit of spark maybe i would have swap i would have switched the swoosh on the inside i would have maybe made the inside swoosh tonal so it kind of you know blends into the upper so you don't see it on the inside only on the outside that would be quite cool but this colorway regardless as is is 100 times better than the retail version that's going to come out and even the little bit of uh of tiffany what you call it silver here at the back hits way different as well personally for me it looks way nicer in this silhouette or this color gray or this colors all together looks way way better and it fits the whole image of it better um so whoever designed these you did a great job whoever designed the actual retail ones you absolutely fumbled the bag these look way better and you know i'm sure the sneakheads out there that actually want them are going to be fighting tooth and nail to get these over the black pairs for sure because these look 10 times better for me personally but again what do i know what do I know? Next, I want to quickly talk about this, um, which I think is rather interesting, and I want to make sure that I kind of highlight it. So this is courtesy of Over Under, and it's regarding the Jordan 4, Jordan 4 SBs. Weird, right? Nike SB and Jordan 4s. Think about that. So for whatever reason, Nike Skateboarding has decided to try to update or absorb the Jordan 4s as a skateboarding shoe. Now, this isn't shocking because if you're, you know, if you're part, if you, if you know what's what, you would know from, you know, from, from, from back in the day when they originally released, loads of skateboarders would wear basketball shoes as basically quasi skateboarding shoes. You, you see old pictures in the 80s of people wearing Jordan 1s or people wearing Terminators or people wearing Dunks and stuff back in the day when there wasn't specific skateboard sh skateboarding shoes being made. And obviously, over time, brands popped up, DCs, whatever, maybe alphanumerics that were starting to make, you know, um, ES-specific um, skateboarding shoes. But obviously, some of the big, you know, sportswear brands like Adidas and Nike decided to also get involved and update their models to fit skateboarding needs. A good example being a dunk. They took the dunk, and I think especially with the dunk, um, with the skateboarding edition, when they first launched them, they added the addition of a really puffy tongue, which obviously kind of lent itself to what people were doing in skateboarding in terms of the puffy tongues that you had in DCs and whatnot. And then in, in some cases, when they updated the dunks further on along the line, they decided to really then try to look at the materials. So a lot of the early dunk SBs were usually made with suede or new bucks around the top, around the, sorry, around the around a toe box so that if you were ollieing or whatnot or your feet were rubbing uh, along the grip tape or your skateboard when you're doing tricks like heel flips ollies kick flips or whatever it may be it'll be a bit more durable sometimes they would uh 
they would uh, put some double stitching along the toe box to make sure that they were a little bit more sturdy. They might reinforce the lining on some of them. And then later on down the line, what they did, I forgot the name of it, but Nike developed a specific insole that was only made for skateboarding shoes. So if you bought a Nike SB shoe, they'd make this specific insole that I think was like yellow at the bottom that was really bouncy and really soft so that it would kind of help you if you were kind of lounging really hard on the floor after skateboarding. So they do these little things to kind of update the models. And of course, they'd make their own model also. But there's also been a history of skateboarders wearing basketball shoes and skateboarding in them also. There's been a history of skateboarders wearing flipping Timberlands and skateboarding in them, right? Watch old Zoo York videos and you'll see guys in Tim's and stuff skateboarding and doing some amazing shit. And Jordans have always been a part of it. And I always thought shoes like the Jordan 4, which has always been one of my favorites because it kind of looks like a cross trainer. And that's kind of been my favorite era. And again, the Jordan 4 was designed by Tinker Hatfield, who also designed the Nike Air Trainer 1, which are usually my kind of favorite era of like Nikes, that kind of like late, uh, late, 30, late, late 80s, early 90s kind of period where stuff was kind of a bit more cross trainer looking wise loads of panels kind of mid-cut um it had the really nice sort of like triangular boxy type of shape on the shoe i just like that whole aesthetic behind it usually the outsole grip was really grippy and whatnot um the colors are really simple and cool but just amazing and i always thought jordan falls would be a great addition um for sb and you know all intents and purposes to put it out there as a full disclosure jordan fours are my favorite jordans um always have been not even ones i've always been a fan of jordan fours over jordan ones any day of the week especially i still think it's probably tinker hatfield's probably best designer overall but i always thought they'd lend itself really well to skateboarding but they always fall a bit too clunky anyone that's worn jordan fours you know they're quite big and boxy shoes so when i heard that sbs were trying to make them into a skateboarding shoe i was like how are they going to do that because they're really heavy they're really clunky feeling looking wise. They don't really feel like the thing that you would want to wear to like even go on the run. So let alone skateboard with. So I'm interested to see what happened. But now we've got an official colorway of the first shoe to drop under SB Jordan 4, which is this Sail and Pine colorway, which is really nice because if I'm not mistaken, I've never seen this color in a Jordan 4 before. Maybe there's an OG version of this that came out when the Jordan 4 originally released, but I've never seen this combination of this kind of white with the sail, with the kind of gray suede on the on the toe box um, and this kind of gum outsole. I've never seen it before. The closest I've seen is maybe, um, is maybe the Pure Monies, is maybe the Military Blues, that was a similar sort of colorway scheme, but I've never seen this kind of green adapting. It's really nice and really nice kind of approach because the, the good thing I like about this colorway is that it gives you a good indication of where they're going to go going forward. If they're dropping such a classic looking colorway, it means going forward, we're going to see some really simple stuff done that's going to be very SP specific. So for sure, we're going to see an all black Jordan 4 with a gum sole, with a white midsole. It's going to look incredible. We're definitely going to see something with just like, you know, white as the base and loads of different accent colors. So maybe we'll see this same color, um, the same colorway scheme done in red, done in blue, done in yellow, which I think is going to make the Jordan, that, that model, it works better with that. That kind of, you know, limited kind of three to four color palette choices. But so far, this looks really cool. So the initial picture we have here, we have the massive Nike switch to the back with the SB at the back. For the longest time, Jordan's, um, I don't know why, Jordan brand would be really tight and every retro they released, they would never release it with a Nike on the back. It would always be the Jumpman. So you could always discern between an OG or a more valuable pair of Jordans, you know, between whether or not they had the correct shape, different materials, or if they had a Jumpman logo or the Nike logo. And obviously the Nike logo looks just more sick, isn't it? Because you've got Jordan at the front, you've got Nike at the back. It just looks absolutely incredible and obviously represents a really good era and time. So you've got that going on there. 
And then also, as you look closer onto the side picture of, of the Jordan, you've got this nice mesh, nice color balance on there. You've got the plush on the inside with the white. And then the best thing about them, which you've never, I've never seen so far in a Jordan, to my experience. The only thing I could think of maybe the undefeated ones, but I've never seen a Jordan 4 that's got a combination of leather and suede in this kind of usually I think even the all suede ones like Eminem ones are all suede but this combination of having a bit of leather here on the top and this suede bit at the bottom is really nice towards the mud guard or to a toe guard it looks really cool and I'm assuming this addition has been added to kind of make them more skateboarding friendly but I would also like to know what it is. So when they do originally release or when they do come out officially, I hope Nike SB are going to put out some information or some pamphlets, some video or something. So to give us an idea on what they've done to actually update this for skateboarding. Because I'd, I'd hope they'd have because there was pictures being released of like, um, what's his name? Paul Rodriguez and some of us forgot the other guy's name who were, skate, who were doing wear tests with a pair of Jordan 4s. And, and they were obviously kind of, you know, skating in them and kind of reporting back to the designers and letting them know what tweaks could be made to improve them but on the face of them to the naked eye they just look like regular Jordan 4s but I'm sure they have improved them but I'd like to know what the improvements are have they kind of switched out some of the you know the lining have they reduced the weight um, I don't know have they made them more have they added more flipping ventilation in them what, what have they done actually to make them more skateboarding proof I hope it's just not this suede mud guard and a gum sole that's more sticky hopefully it's more to kind of make them more because that would make it that would make these more desirable to purchase but I'm still going to get them regardless because the colorway is fucking fire but these look really 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 nice they come out amazing and I can't wait to see more colorways coming at them soon they look even better here and towards the front here you've got again this nice uh, grey uh, mud guard here or kind of you know mud guard toe guard whatever here toward the front uh, nice white here with the mesh nice laces you've got the Jumpman flat logo there on the tongue also they look absolutely banging to me. I love them. They look really, really, really good. And I cannot wait for them to come out. I think, what they say the date here? About them coming out here, what they say? I don't think they've got a date on them. So far, I do. I don't think we've got a date. I don't think so. Let me double check here. This other video from Over Under. You've got, got a clip of them here, sat next to a skateboard. But these look great. They're going to look amazing with a pair of shorts on. Awesome pants and whatnot. These look really, really good. I can't wait to see them um, on person when they do eventually do come out. No idea on the date or when they are going to come out. Is a little short video showing them in hand. They look absolutely fire though. That colorway is so, so good. The garment sole as well is a nice little touch on them also. But yeah, these are going to do absolute numbers when they come out, I think. But I'm all over these. Definitely give these. Get Definitely get me a pair of these in a size 11, please. Please, for the love of God. No idea on the date so far. Yeah, everyone's saying I need these ASAP no other information on the date so far but i do like them like i said i would i really do hope they do go out of their way to explain like hey here's what we've done to update them to make them more sbfied and they're not just uh they don't just take a jordan 4 and just slap the sb on it like actually tell us what happened and you know create a story sell us sell us a dream please nike sell us a dream but yeah i love these they're absolutely incredible i'm a big fan of them cannot wait to purchase when they do eventually drop cannot wait to purchase um what else do we have here boom, boom, boom. we got that we got that um uh, but, but oh yeah let's talk about it's also right um what else? Is that, is that? no did i mention that i didn't mention that i mentioned this i'm just quickly looking at the list of my options that i got here in terms of topics bear with me one second body being by the boom uh-huh we said that we said this oh yeah this is cool and then also 
Um, last bit of sneaker news. Okay, I mentioned these, even though these already dropped, I quickly want to give them a shout out because I think it always is deserved to kind of highlight these things because I think it kind of goes, it kind of doesn't get said enough, but I just want to put it on record on my end. So this is Curse of Supreme. This is regarding their recent collaboration with Nike for a pair of Air Bacon, which I'm not that even familiar with. And again, I think my sneaker knowledge is pretty decent, but even I wasn't familiar with the model themselves. And I want to give Supreme incredible props for always going out of their way. Whenever they do Nike collaborations, for the most part, they always challenge themselves and try to do a collaboration with a fresh model. They don't always do the same old nonsense, tired thing. They always try and push and challenge themselves to, you know, improve, adapt and kind of, you know, do their thing on a model that's probably not getting a lot of love or maybe is a little bit, you know, overlooked and whatnot. And a good example is this Nike Air Bacon, courtesy of Supreme. So this is the following. Supreme has worked with Nike on a new version of the Nike Air Bacon for spring. The shoe features a synthetic pebbled leather upper with Nubuck side panel, mesh underlay quarter panel, rubber outsole molded logo toe panel visible heel airbag inset swoosh mesh tongue with molded logo co-branded footbed webbing loop at the heel with high density printed logo rubber panel on the collar and an embroidered graphic at the heel made exclusively for supreme the air baking will be offered in two colorways i've said it before but their product descriptions give me a boner I love the detail they go into the product descriptions from the zip fly, two panel pockets, disclosure. I fucking love their product descriptions. So good. But yeah, the air bacon looks really amazing. They got this colorway that's like a rainbowish type colorway with like black. So you've got this nice kind of gradient on the top here. It goes from yellow all the way to like a purple, to like a lilac, to like a blue at the back here. It's really, really lovely. Uh, obviously, look like they're basically a basketball shoe, I'd imagine. Again, I've not really, I've not, the first time ever I've seen an air baking in my life. I've never ever seen them before. Um, but they look amazing. And they also kind of remind me a little bit of an ACG. There's an ACG model that looks a little bit similar where the laces go right towards the front here. You see how you've got that kind of, you know, you've got that exaggerated lace system where it goes right to the end. So it goes right to the end of the toe box and right here to the front. They kind of remember a bit of an ACG. And you've got this nice air bubble at the back here and a swoosh on the, on the, on the, what you call it? On your instep or the outside of your instep. Looks nice with the NYC here on the back. And they've got the Supreme pull tab, like with the logo on it as well. Like so lovely. The colorway is great. And then they've got this all white colorway. It looks beautiful also. That kind of reminds me more of like a flight post. A flight, is it flight post or flight post? Whatever they're called. Um, well, the outfit looks really nice. Yeah, the whites look great, don't they? Look at that. That is luscious. Pristine white, coke white, as Flippin' Pusha T would say. Um, again, we've got the translucent um, salt uh, airbag here. And you have to also imagine when the Supreme do the, when Supreme do the collaborations, they always include a white pair, which I think is really cool. Like it's little, I wonder if it's like a like a thing about a nod to like white Air Force Ones. But I do like it because it kind of takes guts and balls and courage, really, because you get a chance to collaborate with Nike. Why would you make an all-white shoe, right? Somebody would like be like, oh, I want to take advantage of this opportunity. Let's just get a shoe. Let's do as much as we can with it and really stamp our mark on it. You know what I mean? Putting out a white shoe is like kind of like, you know, you're kind of trusting your design principles, you're trusting your eye, you're trusting your taste, you're trusting your vision that it's going to seep through an all white shoe without all the extra rah-rah, which looks great to me. If anything, the white's actually better than the, the colorful, which is weird. I wouldn't actually say that, but the whites look absolutely great. 
and I'm sure they look better on these model pictures. I'm sure they won't look as great on me when I actually put them on. But I do like, again, the courage to pick a model that's not that popular and obviously make it hot and still sell it out is great. I do love the look of them. I think they got sold out anyway. I'm pretty sure they got sold out. As you can see, you've got that rainbow colour. It's got, again, it's got the Supreme logo on the insole. The same again with the whites as well, with the back as well, with the heel tab. They look amazing. And of course, the hand tie there, if you're one of the goons. I, like I remember there was a time back in the day where I used to wear my Jordans like this. You'd come with a little float, flight logo or, or other trainers, even Hirachis. Hirachis used to have like a little a little tag that you put on the side and you wear it and you kind of walk around with it. But obviously over time, you'd kind of pull that off. And then of course, I think Virgil Abloh actually was a person that kind of brought that shit back with his quote, zip tie things. People would kind of leave those on. All my off-white shoes, I cut the zip tie off and threw it away. And there's people online reselling the zip ties for like, you know, a couple of, a couple of pounds. But yeah, I'd close them straight away. But yeah, it's quite nice to see. Um, I did. I think they sold out anyway. Let me double check. I'm pretty sure they sold out the shoes. Let's see, but I'm sure they did sell out. Let's go and shop. Ba, 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 ba. View all. I'm pretty sure the shoes sold out. I'm pretty sure. But let's just double check just in case. I'm pretty sure the shoes sold out. They must have. If they didn't, you guys are bugging. But I do think it's a good nod to them if they did able to do that. Bring a shoe back that no one really knows about or it's a bit underloved and then sell it out. Yeah, see? All sold out. Amazing. And they're baking again. I'm not really too familiar with the shoe, and I think my knowledge is pretty decent. I'm sure others are the same, or maybe it's it's a thing that's it's a model a lot of Americans know because it's more of a basketball shoe. But the fact that it's sold out is absolutely incredible. That's really really cool. They're able to do that, and for sure, what you know now going forward, Nike's gonna retro these. Nike's gonna retro these, and they're gonna kill the market and absolutely bleed everyone dry by making these out again. I'm sure it's gonna happen. Watch, you're gonna see it. Nike's gonna retro these and bring these back out again. It's happen. It's gonna happen. They always do this. They put a collaboration forward, and then they absolutely bleed the industry and the market dry by absolutely terminating them and bringing them all over the place. So definitely keep an eye out for them when they do eventually come out again. Anyway. I'm going to leave it for now because it's already approaching three hours. I don't want to do too much. I'm going to let, leave the rest of the topics for next episode. But that has been the Action Zinger Show live stream for once. I've never usually do live streams for the show. I usually pre-record these and then upload them later. But I try to do something different and kind of mix it up a little bit. So I hope you guys enjoyed. As I said previously at the beginning of the show, I'm going to try to make sure that I do the live streams like this for the Action Zinger Show where I focus on the cultural comedy stuff and the fashion things and the things I spoke about today. And if you want to hear about random show stuff, I'll do that on a separate channel, which I've got, random show channel. I'll do that on there. For now, I'll obviously do them on both channels and obviously upload the live streams on the random show over there. But just to kind of keep things separate so that people are not getting confused and are getting annoyed so that when I'm not streaming, so when I'm streaming on Action Zinger Show, people are not like, oh my God, what are you doing? Talk about Brendan. Ah, and get angry at me. And I'm like, ah. So just to make everybody appease and cool and whatnot, I'll make sure I split them and separate them. But hope you enjoyed. If you have any feedback or whatnot, let me know in the comments. I'll be open to hearing any of it and yeah nothing more for me really all the links regarding myself you know where to find them in the description you can go to my website actually uh, that's actually what i might get up now because i can do that now can't i um i can load up my website but yeah you can check out my website that's got all my listings really about moi in terms of finding the stuff that i do and whatnot if you want to check out some of the things i get up to and whatnot you can find it all under my website which is agasinozinga.com all one word my name you can find all the stuff on there and then i also have a specific website for the podcast also which is the excellent zinger show all one word which just loads up the flipping libsyn as you can see there there we go excellent zinger show all one word the agassino zinger show 
all one word.com, thexonzingershow.com. Load that, and you can find all the links on there too, so you can see all the flipping podcasts and whatnot. And you can check them out, and you can link me on my socials and all that malarkey. But for now, thank you so much, people, for hanging out with me. I appreciate every single one of you. If you are watching the video portion of the show, please make sure that you smash the like. Smash the like button down below. I do implore you, even if you don't like it, dislike it, that's fine. But just to engage with it, that would be greatly appreciated. And for those of you listening to the audio podcast, you will hear my tune of the day. And my tune of the day for the audio podcast today is definitely, it has to be, it has to be a track from Don Tolliver's Lovesick. The deluxe album is out right now. So for the end of the track, I am going to play Luckily I'm Having featuring, featuring Tezo. So if you haven't listened to that already, please make sure you do. This is Don Tolliver featuring Luckily I'm Having put that will be my tune today. But for people watching on the video, this is the end. I'll see you. Girls just wanna have Girls just wanna have Girls just wanna have Luckily I'm having